0: everyone good evening sorry we're a little late getting new things set up but welcome to popcast on the rocks for may what 16th now going by quick episode 18 (laughs) how is your evening andrea
1: it's good i've had a good day so far um i went running a little earlier today and uh it's it's been like a beautiful weather even though it's kind of rainy it's good for running Um, and then as I was running, like, I just kind of ran past this whole row of houses where like all the trees were like in bloom and I kind of could smell the flowers. And then I ran past another house and smelled like one of my other favorite smells, which is campfire. So Mm. I don't know. It's kind of, it's feeling like spring finally kind of nice out. Yeah.
0: So I can see it being a good day for running.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Um, and it's, I mean, the, the weather shifted so violently in Minnesota. I feel like every time I go out running, I'm like, okay, am I putting on, like, my tank top and shorts? Or am I putting on, you know, like, my thermal leggings and my, you know, cowl neck, you mm-hmm. know, heat trapper or sweater or what? So, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't have that
0: problem. <laughs> I don't have that problem. I just sit on my ass all day, so it's,
1: uh,
0: <laughs> it's not an issue for me.
1: You don't have to, uh, like do extreme varying styles in the tractor when you go out I the do field?
0: actually I do kind of a little bit because <laughs> so you
1: understand
0: yeah <laughs> I mean you basically you get up early or whatever and it's cold so you're kind of bundled up and then but it's very easy for this giant glass box you're sitting in mm-hmm. to become hot so I have for the sure. AC on you know uh, but then I take off my extra layers and then I get outside and I don't know it's just it's yeah it's changing temperatures all the time the whole so, production, yep,
1: yeah, yep. yeah. See, I don't get that when I run, so like I have to like hope I guessed right because I don't get to just like shed layers or put yeah. them back on if I guessed wrong. Yep. So,
0: <laughs> well, you carry a backpack that's an extra, yeah. <laughs> you know, put a couple weights in there. You got up the challenge,
1: right? That's my next level, next yeah. level challenge. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Um, so, well, yeah,
1: good day for me. How about you?
0: Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, I mean the the rain. I guess it's you know gloomyish, but uh, it's fine, I suppose. Um, like I said yesterday, actually, if no one caught it, leave it on Facebook now. But our yeah, um, well. Real Housewives, oh, on Twitter too now. Nice, our Real Housewives breakdown we did last night. So I talked a little bit, you know, how it actually felt like Friday to me because we got done with the bulk of our work. So, right. So yeah. It's been good in, in that regard. Right. Nice um, to wrap that up. Yes. Um, so, you found more drink events. It's always yeah. drink events.
1: Yes. I mean, you know, you got to have a, a celebration for everything. Can't leave anything ab- out.
0: Are you abiding by them? One of the. Um,
1: I mean, I'm close. <laughs> I'm close. not abiding by the one today. So, today okay. is Mimosa Day. Although uh, Chris and I did do mimosas earlier in the week. We did like a, like a Brenner night, like a breakfast for dinner. And we had like waffles and sausages. Wait, what is mimosasas. that
0: terminology now? Is that another like millennial thing that I'm not a part Brenner? of? Yeah,
1: no, <laughs> this has been around for a while.
0: Oh, my brother-in-law Luke is in the chat. Have you heard of Brenner? Come on now. <laughs> Come
1: on, Luke. You know, you have. <laughs> I don't
0: think anyone's heard <laughs> of that.
1: Alan knows. Alan knows. Thank you, All right. Alan. <laughs> I'm
0: out of it. Whatever.
1: So, yeah. So, it's Brinner, breakfast for dinner. And, yeah, we had mimosas earlier this week. Uh, just, you know, kind of like feeling like, why not do something fun and different, break up our mm-hmm. routine.
2: Yeah. Um, obviously.
1: But I found that tomorrow begins American Craft Beer Week. um, So, I am celebrating a little early with a craft beer here from Toppling Goliath. It's their oh. pseudo-sue. Wow. Um, oh. One of my uh, my coworkers here's the can with its like crazy T Rex. You're
0: gonna make wow. Alan jealous right now. I mean, <laughs> I feel, yeah. See, he says good stuff. I feel like every yep. time I see Alan, he's like, "Have you had this?" Uh, I was like, "Yes, I've had that." <laughs> I he's just in love with it. I, I think.
1: I yeah, I've had several people recommend it to me, so I was like, finally, like, let's do it. You know, like it's American yep. Craft Beer Week. Let's let's celebrate. So
0: that looked like lemonade. So I yeah it. i mean
1: it kind of does it's a it's a pale ale but it kind of looks like a hazy pale mm-hmm. ale almost so
0: i don't know if good. i have poured I like that it. one out of the can before so i am really have to mm-hmm. look at it but yeah yep, what have you got up. john well so i got this first i'm going to start with the glass um i got this glass <laughs> at um what's the theater out by you guys uh the good one um, alamo yeah yep so i got this to the alamo draft Hall.
1: Remember the Alamo.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do remember <laughs> the Alamo, yes.
1: I'm, I'm sorry. That was a yeah. terrible history joke. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but it's uh our friend Tara had made the joke you need to make a Jason mimosa in this glass.
2: Oh um,
0: nice. I, I did not make a Jason mimosa, but it reminded me of that because <sighs> of Mimosa Day. So this is like I don't know, super summery drink. It's we have these like things of frozen fruit it's just blended up with a bunch of shots of tequila and uh
1: oh okay it's
0: good so i'm not abiding by the by the days unfortunately
1: dang it john so close i mean it would have been so perfect in the jason momoa glass jason mimosa
0: yep no Um, champagne here right now
1: Yeah,
2: yeah something
1: i don't exactly keep on hand although i've heard like at, that's one of the things you're supposed to do as like an adult is have like a fully stocked bar and have like champagne at the ready. Mm. I don't know. I guess I'm not fully an adult yet.
0: <laughs> we have pretty full. I mean, usually name your spirit of choice. Mm-hmm. We have uh, often many options of each, Right. but, um, some of the, um, some of the mixers and, uh, Garnishes and different things like mm-hmm. that seem like a difficult thing to keep on hand all the time, it takes up a lot of space. Right. So, right when they don't last forever, you know, right can't have too much alcohol, it just lasts and lasts. But yeah, um, well, I should say too, uh, like should have said this earlier, I guess. So, we're gonna have some special guests later in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a few news stories to get through first. Um, but if you're interested in Westworld yet and you have not had enough Westworld talk, we're going to have a couple other people in here that are passionate about it, and we'll get their take. I'm sure you've heard us um, yammer on about it. You know Mm -hmm. what we think. If you don't, you should go back and see that. What's wrong with you? Um, But uh, yeah, coming up a little bit later. But for the time being, I'm going to skip over gaming news cuz there is gaming right. news and i'm not ignoring it but we're going to switch to doing things our midweek episode will be more gaming focused so we'll mm-hmm. we'll talk about that then um but uh you've got a fun story we have a birthday to congratulate or
1: yes happy yes. birthday to wish today's a a cele- celebratory day um i mean first off we found out that it is pierce brosnan's 67th birthday so happy birthday to uh, the former Mr. Bond. Um, and I, I saw you'd sent me that this morning and I was wondering as a Bond fan, where does he rank for you? Like in terms of the, the men who have played Bond? It's
0: a tough question. It um, is tough. So yeah, I, I, I
1: really like him. I mean, I feel, he's, not, yeah. he's not my number one, but he's like up there. Especially for his look, I feel like he just embodied the look of what I thought James Bond should look like.
0: Sure. Ashley always thought he was too pretty for Bond, <laughs> like blow dried hair, real nice, you know, or something. Sure. Um, I guess you know we definitely need to have a full episode on Bond stuff. I mean, I was expecting to have had it by now with the when Bond was going to be coming out, but
2: right. um,
0: did the, the delay? I have come to the point where I really enjoy each bond for something, you know, in a different way. Um, Brosnan is uh, really important to me, his films, just because it's kind of the ones that were coming out in theaters when we were growing up. So, yeah,
1: Um, yeah. he was uh, he was my first introduction. to Bond. And then my my father thought that that was terrible that like this was my first introduction. So he made me go back and like start with Dr. No, and like, start the bond series. Um, so I mean, I feel like there's some nostalgia there for me. And and maybe it makes me rank him like higher up in my hierarchy of bonds. But I would say that Pierce Brosnan for me is probably third. Um, I I'm definitely a fan of Sean Connery. I don't think you can like beat the original and he's, he's just so like smooth. I think he just like makes it work. And then I would say Daniel Craig is second for me. Um, Not, I had a hard time with him to begin with. Like I said, I had this like idea that Bond is like darker somehow, you know what I mean? Like Daniel Craig was just so blonde and blue eyed that I was just Mm. like, oh. Like this just wasn't like my vision of James Bond, sure. but I love his movies and I love his acting style as mm-hmm. James Bond, so he sort of like moved up the ranks for me. But
2: well, Pierce frankly,
1: part, solid three
0: in his, in Craig's first film. Really, they kind of I feel like that that was a story that he's blonde and blue eyed, and so they weren't gonna like shy away from that, and they sort of right. played it up. They made. Right. Sure, he was blonde, and they like really the shots where you would see the eyes extra blue, and I think as you go on and that's not such a novelty anymore, right it's not really called into focus, you know, it's not right. shot that way to call out those things so right
1: yeah i I had a hard time with it at the beginning, even though I love Casino Royale, and that's probably oh maybe not quite my favorite because I think Skyfall is my favorite Daniel Craig, but. Mm-hmm. I, I really came to to rank that highly because, you know, highly in yep. my list of overall movies.
0: Well, there's a sh- kind of short list of pretty influential movies uh, to my childhood and Goldeneye is up there for sure. Yes,
1: so. that's absolutely so, my favorite Pierce Brosnan one.
0: It's uh, often I, the fresh starts that are the good ones.
1: Well, and I know. think what's weird about Pierce Brosnan for me is that the movies that he did as James Bond, like like the order in which they were released directly correlate to my ranking of them
2: okay like
1: i think i think unfortunately like he started high with goldeneye and then just like kept going down Mm
2: -hmm. well it's kind of
1: like
0: that thing that we we talked we talked about on a previous episode it has awesome powers wrecked bond kind of thing and it was kind of you know talking about (laughs) how things tend to get sillier as they move they want to add levity to things and Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, I just think they went a little too far, and unfortunately, die another day is is probably just one of the the hardest to kind of like wrap your brain around with like the the believability of what they ask you to to uh, believe someone could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking directly at that whole parachute wave surfing thing that they made him do.
0: <laughs> oh come on now, that was. Uh... Yeah, i mean
1: i i i can stretch some believability i mean my it's one of my favorite franchises is the fast and the furious for goodness sake and i mean like the things that they're supposed to be able to do in a car are absolutely ridiculous um but you know i mean y- you realize as you're looking at it that it's ridiculous so
0: okay so what was your your name for brunch and di- breakfast and dinner brinner so brinner Mo. And Fast and the Furious, Andrea, what's wrong with you? Come on, I know These things. I know. Right. Well, happy birthday, I, I, Mr. Brosnan. I like so
1: many things. My my yep. tastes run the gamut. So they
0: do. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. So to yes to echo you, a happy birthday to uh, Mr. Brosnan, and then we're celebrating something else as well this yeah. weekend. Uh,
0: I I found about oh, this because uh, CD Projekt Red tweeted about it actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, Mad Max Fury Road came out five years ago as of yesterday, which is nuts. I feel like that was two years ago or something. I don't know. I know. Just shows how old I'm getting. Are you excited
1: for the the prequel that's coming out uh, based around Imperator Furiosa?
0: Um, I mean, I haven't heard about it in a long time. So if it's still on the books, if it's happening, you know, then... Then yes, I mean I liked um I very much enjoyed the take they had on on Fury Road. So, if I can have more of that that kind of vibe, that kind of uh soundtrack that sort of um over saturated um insanity, yeah. I'm good for more.
1: Yeah, I just um I found an article that um centers around an interview that that george miller did with the new york times and he finally confirmed that it's happening um they settle he settled his dispute with warner brothers um, over the rights to the prequel and now he's moving forward with it and he confirmed um that Charlize theron is not going to be reprising her role because it's a prequel well
2: oh
1: yeah so so he was like i considered doing some cgi to like de-age her but i don't want to do it and Mm. i don't know how i feel about it i'm kind of torn like i get it cgi is still kind of like i mean it's so much better but it's still kind of shaky but i mean how do you how do you do that without
0: the problem with the? well i mean i hope they find a no name that as uh, kind of a mm. you know mm-hmm. an untapped potential a real powerhouse that they can throw in there and she'll go to town i you know i don't sure. want to see uh you know another familiar face that's also supposed to be charlie's so mm-hmm. we'll see if they can come up with that person you know yep, that's tough to do but yep um now i guess so I guess all right. Mad Max is very comic booky, you know. It's over <laughs> over the top, um, larger than life. You got some other comic book news, kind of.
2: Comic yeah, book
1: yeah. Um, Netflix is kind of expanding their their catalog of you know lesser known comic book series and movies, um, and they just picked up a movie called Ball and Chain. Which is going to star The Rock and Emily Blunt. Um, and the basic premise is that they're a married couple who are about to get a divorce when one day they have like an accident that gives them superpowers. But as, it, trick- as it happens. As as it happens, yeah, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know like what accident is gonna be staged, you know. I'm assuming it's not a radioactive spider bite, but I won't rule anything out. Um
0: Hour, yeah.
1: Um, but the the deal is that they get these powers but they only work if they're in close proximity to each other and if they're like getting along so if they're like fighting or they like break up they don't get Mm -hmm. to keep these
0: superpowers I was reading that it's pretty funny
1: yeah (laughs) which to me when I read it sounded like the exact opposite of the movie Hancock did you ever see that
0: no i remember coming out i wasn't super interested i guess um
1: yeah i mean it's uh, it's solid but not great mm -hmm. um it's you know i mean i love will smith and i was i was kind of deep in like a will smith phase at that point so i was like yeah Mm. i'll go see it um and it's good it's unfortunately just kind of like two movies that got smashed together like they couldn't figure out how to relate the two plots and they were like f it like we'll just you know make these two different movies and somehow transition in the middle sure um But the premise for that is, um, and I guess spoiler alert to anybody who hasn't seen it, although it's like how many years old now, um, but Hancock and um, the character Mary, played by Charlize Theron, um, used to be husband and wife, but the longer they stay together, um, they're both superheroes. The weaker their powers get, so they they're actually not supposed to be around each other if they want to be
0: okay. their superpowers. So yeah, it so is kind of the opposite.
1: exact opposite of you know like.
0: Do you know was that based on a comic book?
1: Hancock, I yeah. believe so. Okay, but let me check.
0: Because I saw this one is and in, uh, it's by a right. prolific um, Marvel guy. Um, well, I think he's mm-hmm. done DC too and stuff for sure. Um, yeah, he has, but. I like him. I'm a fan. And uh, so that gives some lends some credibility to this as being something I might be interested in. Sure. Jeff Lobdell, I think. I don't know how to say his last name.
1: <laughs> I think we can be generous with pronunciation.
0: Well, I saw it as a kid all the time, you know, it's one of those things you see as a child or whatever, and then you just like your brain sees it one way or whatever. And you never learn how to say it. And that's so you're always, that's the way I pronounce it.
1: Right. Yeah. You say it in your brain, but you don't have to say it out loud.
0: Yep.
1: (laughs) Um, So Hancock is based on a graphic novel.
0: Okay. So yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well. Yeah, I just thought it was
1: kind of cool that, you know, Netflix is picking that up as well. Um, The Rock and and Emily Blunt. I have uh, already yeah, worked together. Why did together. you hear
0: about this story, and why would you care about it? Weird.
1: <laughs> I know Explain. it's yeah. out of the blue for me. Yeah. Um, so they've already worked together on Disney's Jungle Cruise, but of course that was supposed to come out this year, and now is being delayed. So it'll be interesting to see if like Netflix is kind of like banking on a chemistry that that is there, but hasn't you know kind of been proven yeah. yet.
0: Yeah. So. That's a good point. Netflix takes but- anything though. That's always the deal. So <laughs> and those are big names, so
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Yep. Um that's uh that's cool. I was kinda looking forward to jungle cruise. So um mm-hmm. hopefully they're good together and hopefully they're good together in this. And um oh. hopefully it comes I sooner mean- than later later than later.
1: Yeah, they're two they're two good actors and funny people and I can I yep. can see it working. Like I could Every, see them having like same kind of humorous play off each other.
0: Everybody wants I do not say everybody, but there's a contingent that wants um Emily Blunt and what's her husband? Uh
1: uh John uh
2: Krasinski.
0: Yeah. Them to be Mr. and Mrs. Fantastic in Fantastic Oh really.
2: Four.
0: And I think that's perfect. Now I can see them being hesitant because they're not like, super, they're not spring chickens, you know, so they want to have them around for a decade doing these action roles or something like that. Right. Maybe they want someone that's 10 years younger, but, um, I, I'd, I, would... I don't know
1: if I was them, I'd be more worried about like the fantastic four franchise. Like it, like nobody seems to be able to do this. Well,
0: that's because Marvel's you know I mean? never and... had it. Marvel's never had, the, you know. They didn't have the foresight way back when to to hold on to these rights. So, you know, I mean, yeah, Sony just Sony has to make a film every so often with it mm-hmm. or they lose the rights. So they just like we have to put something together, guys, like throw it together, do it, you know, and and um, yeah, they went they went light and goofy to start. And then they yeah. try, well, maybe let's do the more heavy and serious thing. Right. It's not, it doesn't have the Marvel balance that the original Marvel family needs. So I was going to
1: say, maybe this, if they try for it a third time, it could be their Goldilocks. It's just right.
0: And they don't need their own film. Like Marvel has their cinematic universe. They can introduce these characters and they sure. can be part of the world. And if people latch on to them and it's good and something develops, they can That's do true. a different, different movie for them.
1: That's true. So. Yeah. I think they've got a lot of latitude to play now. Now yep. that Mar- Marvel's obviously proven themselves many times over.
0: Yep. Well, from comic book movies to video game movies. Uh, I saw oh, this yeah. the other day, too. <laughs> um, I had to say I didn't like think about what my answer is. Uh, but James Cameron saying his
2: yeah.
0: guilty pleasure is the original Resident Evil movie.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, do you like yeah. that movie? Do you think did you think about Do you have an answer for this?
1: I mean, I thought about it. I feel like I have different types of guilty pleasure movies. Um, but I do, I do definitely have one that I that I will definitely always watch. It always comes on TV. Um, and I'll always stop and watch it no matter where it is, um in in the kind of runtime. Um, but it's just go with it with mm-hmm. Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston. I don't know why. I freaking love that movie. Just stop. <laughs>
0: i don't even know if i've heard of that
1: so it's um it's a newer one for adam sandler but it's i mean he plays a plastic surgeon who's dating this like 24 year old girl and she thinks he's like super immature um so he like talks about like this whole family he has he invents an entire family and then she's like, okay, but you're still married. And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to divorce my wife. Like she's horrible and awful. And you know, I, I want to be with you. And so then he has to invent like a fake wife for himself to divorce. Enter Jennifer Aniston as his assistant becomes his like fake wife. Spoiler
0: warning, spoiler warning. Oh Andy. yeah. <laughs> Andrea. This is
1: this is also an old movie.
0: I know, um, but new to someone.
1: But yeah, I I love it. I love Adam Sandler movies. Um, I've loved them since I was a kid. Um, so, and I don't know why I like this one, but I I like uh, Jennifer Aniston's like comedic side. And I think they're actually like a funny duo, um, which Netflix also apparently thinks they're a funny duo because they just did the movie Murder Mystery together as well. Oh, right. Where they play like yeah. another married couple. Yep. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, it's kind mm-hmm. of one of my like guilty pleasure movies.
0: I don't know what, you know, I don't feel particularly guilty about uh loving any movie. I mean, I have to say <laughs> I have watched the original Twilight movie too many times. It's been quite a while. I think
1: that could be a guilty pleasure. <laughs>
0: but I mean, I maybe i would hate it now. It's been a while. But uh mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess I guess I'll go with because other than nothing else, I'm not afraid to say, like, yeah, you know, I love that. And mm-hmm because there is a reason it's like a zombie ass that's a that's a movie that's a thing um but it's i mean it has it's the enjoyment because it's so bad and um there's plenty like that batman and robin
1: i was gonna say i was gonna say if we're gonna say like if there's something so bad that you like love it then i definitely have the perfect answer for that it's i know who killed me with Lindsay Lohan. Oh,
0: I remember. Yeah, I remember you. As, it's
1: yeah, right. so awful. And I love it because it's so awful. But she's the absolute worst. You like, and Ashley, is it's always actor.
0: Queen of the Damned.
1: Oh, I do love that one. Yeah. Yes.
0: So you got a lot of them. You got a lot. Of them. I
1: do. Yeah, I feel like I have a lot of different ones. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I have a lot of like, oh, sort of for this genre, this is my guilty pleasure movie. So, yeah.
0: OK, well, um, that's our like. A brief bit of news um mm-hmm. maybe we'll ask our we'll we'll bring in our new guests here and maybe that can be our first question we pose to our our um, new guests as well i we like no it time I'm to think spot. about it. you know maybe maybe they did here while we were talking about it but uh, <laughs> everybody welcome to the conversation chris and tay how's it going guys, Bye, guys. tay you're holding very still
3: I am so still right now. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm also, I'm also have remarkable cell service for being on the side of a mountain in Peru. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. You got
1: the, we appreciate you got the... your commitment to joining mm-hmm. us.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've only actually got like two hours total in this place. No, I'm just kidding. That's <laughs> actually how it works. You have like two hours to be in that little area. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And then they, you just kind of are herded through there. Sure. You know, try to take your photo ops. Yep. Get your Tinder profile pictures.
0: <laughs> Is that what we're That's, looking at right now?
3: <laughs>
0: uh, uh,
4: no comment. Tinder grinder. <laughs> I, I, I'd date you, Tay. Watch it. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Watch it, hubby of mine.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, we got here, you guys here to talk about Westworld, because you guys are passionate about that. But that's um give you know give this last question we just talked about. What's what's your takes? What are your takes on that? What do you you have a guilty pleasure film? Something you shouldn't like, but you do.
4: <laughs> uh, Taylor, what do you think?
3: Oh, Chris, that is such a dodge. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is.
4: <laughs> I'm buying myself thinking time. I was not prepared.
3: Good, good work. <laughs> Uh I I like to think I have really I have at least good taste. I I probably uh I mean I don't I wouldn't put this in the same uh vein as Twilight, but I definitely like The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise way too much.
0: Ooh, good one. Oh no, that's a good film. Good movie.
3: Ed's Wick is just also great. Like it's got some really good movies. What's that? edswick the, oh. the producer yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah see i'm going for his hair i'm going yeah. for tom's hair in that film
3: <laughs> that, it's, you're you're there you're there and then some <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no. but edwards wick also did uh deliverance speaking of daniel craig
1: oh right oh. yeah
3: so you know just some of the moral themes that he tackles with his films i really like but again you i know, know. the last time I with tom cruise's the the, the juxtaposition is kind of
0: yeah hmm. that's a movie I haven't seen in a while that's a good one i that's not I mean I guess you're saying that you like it too much but that doesn't ring as a guilty pleasure to me at all. That's
3: I'm also dodging. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, He's
1: dodging in a different way.
3: Yeah. At <laughs> least dodging with an answer. <laughs> Ooh, sure. gauntlet oh Gauntlet Throne,
1: oh, Chris. Oh.
4: I'll, I'll back you up, Taylor. I actually, uh, um, I've actually used last samurai as a teaching tool before. So uh, I'm with you on that. It, there's, there's a lot of, uh, uh, historical fiction in there that you have to uh, kind of, uh, yeah. uh, navigate through, but yep. uh, I don't know when I, when I think about guilty pleasures, I think about, um, movies that I really liked when I was, when I was younger and I have like no artistic, uh, no artistic quality yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, or, uh, um, are really not good anymore. I don't know. I remember the the episode he had a, a few time a few uh, weeks ago when Andrew and I watched the uh, Ninja Turtle movies. Which I mean, watching them as an adult, they're just they're they're awful. Uh, but they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think about like movies that I watched when I was a kid. When I think about guilty pleasures, that kind of stuff. Um, I, I mean, we're we're on the show that talks about this kind of stuff all the time. So. The original star wars films like the stories are amazing but like when you when you stack them up against the uh um the production quality of of what's modern and possible today like it, they're pretty the, so there are parts that are pretty hokey just in terms of production quality but the stories are amazing and that's what keeps people coming back so uh I, I just think about things like that like watching those with my dad and that kind of stuff well bringing
0: that up do you think that um what do you think holds up better the prequel trilogy or the original trilogy
4: Uh, I think that uh, people who want to actually talk about, uh, like, movies uh, as an art form, you have to kind of set aside the technology that's available in a particular era. So you have to talk about the quality of the stories. And Mm -hmm. when you talk about the quality of the stories, nothing compares to the original trilogy in terms of how they stack up. So, like, yeah, it's more engaging if you're in a movie theater and you get to see more modern effects. But, like, I think, I mean, you're not going to be able to replace the stories of the original I mean, what's appealing to the third trilogy and the second trilogy are revealing aspects of the universe that we didn't understand from the originals or new uh, um, new truths that uh, get revealed, like obviously like the childhood of Vader, for example. I mean, those are just things that we wouldn't have a, a reason to care if we didn't have the originals. So,
0: mm-hmm. Well, I think it's something like, um, you know, I think if you look at the original Jurassic Park, I think that holds sure. up phenomenally well mm-hmm. because of the practical effects used. And I think they did themselves a disservice, regardless of story, just in the technical element to in the prequel trilogy of Star Wars to attempt to go uh, to go all digital. You know, they mm-hmm. weren't using film and to digital effects as much as possible, basically because of that. Well, yeah. that's good enough now, you know, but only, you know, by the time the third movie came out, they had dated episode one. Yeah. Yep. pretty severely you know and uh episode two shows it pretty poorly like we've come a long way since then
2: mm-hmm.
0: whereas a physical build of a tauntaun is still a physical right. build of a tauntaun maybe it moves a little yeah. funny or something you know but like it's like mm-hmm. the, there's a the practical things that are there they fill rooms with aliens that are mm-hmm. modeled you know and not yep. right. just right yeah, yeah. i, mean,
1: I I think there's you're- something I think about seeing something with your eye that you can tell is a thing and something that's digital. You know, your eyes somehow can like register the difference. Mm-hmm. And um I think the the best use of effect is when you can blend that sense of like the real with the digital.
3: But and also, that
1: was that was Star Wars one's mistake, I think.
3: There there's an there's an aspect of <laughs> restraint too, right? Like some like it was pointed out to me that in the in the original trilogy the lightsaber is only ever really used at like very key moments. Like you think about like yep. the lightsaber duel between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader in mm. in the, in the first movie. Right. Right. Like it, and then you flash forward to like Obi-Wan and Anakin and like that just orgy in a lava field Yep. of like, lightsaber. It's used
4: constantly. Yeah.
3: Right. And yep. like, you think about it like, you know, again, they're they're leaning on the CGI to like wow us with the, right. the lightsaber and the flash as opposed to like you think about how like Sir Alec Guinness and like the power of that moment and just mm-hmm. like he doesn't even move the sword. Yep. Right? Like he he you know, he he shuts it off and like that that I think is more powerful in the storytelling and that kind of speaks to Chris, you know, the longevity of like the movie. Mm. Yep. Yeah, yeah I, and, and
4: um... I think I I think as a history teacher, I uh, I think about films, especially as a, and maybe other people don't do this, but like what were they capable of doing at the time? And how do you kind of, uh, I don't know, create a, uh, um, you can kind of parcel that out from the quality of the story. And, and like Tay said, like how do they use art to communicate something that technology didn't let them at the time? So Jurassic Park is definitely on my list of a, Um, of a film that i thought now i mean we were all pretty young when that came out but i felt like truly wowed by what they were able to do not wowed in a um that's flashy and look at this uh to use taylor's saying the uh the lightsaber orgy Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um i was truly wowed by uh how far they pushed the um i don't know how far they pushed the bell curve for what technology was going to require in the future so
0: I think it's why we see a lot of times you think you have directors and, and writers and whatever you figure they're they're perfecting their craft, which Mm -hmm. I think they do over time. But if they gain a certain level of success, a lot of the barriers to creativity are washed away. You don't have people that will tell you, no, you have expanding, ever expanding limitless budgets. And it's not conducive to part of what, is the magic of creativity in your limitations you know star wars the original trilogy is not what george lucas envisioned in many ways but that's for its betterment Mm -hmm. whereas he makes the prequel trilogy this is exactly what i want well he didn't run into any walls and you you know the force creativity i think is one of the best driving forces um you can have to to great art Uh, well, that's not the topic we brought you here to talk about, but you know, we got to get in Star Wars, um, it has to be talked about. So other science fiction things, current science fiction things that, um, um, I think haven't been like driven off the rails and pounded the ground, um, and forced me into despair like Star Wars has, but, uh, Westworld, (laughs) Westworld season three. Um, just to start, um, did you guys watch Westworld right from the get-go when it, uh, first aired and did you love it right away? What's your history, or background with it?
4: Go ahead and Tay. oh, Taylor, Taylor's gonna go. go for it. Yep.
3: Uh, yeah, I, I've been just following it season by season and I've loved it since the get-go um you know just mind blown after mind blown experience so that that's been my my kind of arc on it so i've i've tracked it since the beginning and obviously suffered through the long stretches of not having it while they create Mm -hmm. entirely new worlds right yep same for you chris i can't
4: can't remember andrea when we started i remember waiting a a A distinct amount of time in between one and two but i also don't think we started right with the premiere
1: we didn't Uh, no yeah
4: maybe maybe we might have started right as we finished season one
1: we binge watched season one after it was complete yes
4: sure sure okay
0: yeah i mean how does uh how do the seasons you know uh stack up to you you know i mean that's the question with star wars always name your name your order do you have an order? Has that been solidified in your mind for um, what's the best? Go ahead, Chris or whoever. Sure,
4: sure. Yeah, I, um, I think it's, I think it's really hard to rank them. I, um, I was thinking about this question um, yeah. it, uh, compared to another show that Andrew and I watched. I know you guys have talked about. Um, I was trying to compare it to uh, Altered Carbon, mm. just mm-hmm. in terms of yeah. when you, when you look at two different seasons of, a uh, theoretically a, um, uh, a coherent storyline across the, across the seasons. Um, that really, it was really stark about Alder Carp and how different the two seasons were and how they felt like, I mean, if you had told me that they were two totally different production teams, I would have believed you. Um, but, and I, I think for Westworld, because the, the narrative of each season is so different, it's really hard to kind of rank them in one way or another. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the first season is all about like main characters and the hosts going through this process of self-discovery and, and season two is all about the veil coming down within Westworld. And then season three is all about this like broader plot for humanity and how like these questions they've answered on an individual level, like humanity is grappling with these two. And I, I just, I, I felt less compelled by season three. Uh, but I, but it's also just, uh, um it's a fire hydrant moment in terms of the amount of information they expected to process in each episode and i Mm i felt i felt character development slid in season three Mm -hmm. um but like i don't know broader philosophical questions about society kept me up at night so sure
1: so would you go like one two three then
4: uh, I mean, season one ended on such an epic moment. I have a hard time not just uh, always keeping that first. And again, I think there's a right. bias. For, oh, there's always going to be a bias for the first season of anything, because they introduce you, no matter you kind of you're willing to set aside their faults. But I, that's probably how I would order it if I was forced to force to choose. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I think so. Chris is spot on. Uh, and so yes, and. Um I think there's another natural comparison to another HBO show True Detectives and kind of how, mm, yeah. how those seasons again same kind of like each season is it's all it's like kind of different show yep um and there they're not even trying to like string them on an they're just right. kind of trying to create more of a universe um you know and tell a, like a broader message um from different angles but I again I think there's there's you kind of have that same thing and I think If I'm going to rank um, you know, season one was just so elegant and just like such a perfect like arc from start to finish Mm
4: -hmm. and like kind
3: of opening, you know, and then like season two kind of delves deep. And then season three again is like pulling back and creating a larger universe, which is pretty much exactly what True Detectives does with seasons one, two and three. And I actually like seasons one. season three season two kind of in that order of both series okay
0: Okay. so So, one three two
1: for you
3: probably but i mean again like okay that's a that's a hairy ranking that's a that's a hairy ranking
1: that's also my ranking it's it's a complicated troubled ranking but yes yes, it's it's the best approximation of what you can
3: sure if you have to if you have to put them on a line (laughs) yes
1: yep
4: I think, I, mean, uh, season, I think season two felt a little disjointed at times. Um, like they kind of lost the storyline uh, and it kind of like muddled around in some of the details. But I guess if I were to evaluate a season based on uh, some of its parts, like there were so many just amazing individual episodes in season two. And it's really hard for me to kind of let that go. Like the story yeah. they told about individual characters just kind of blew my mind.
3: That's. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of what I mean, like, you know, season one is just like it's a, it's a really elegant story. It's
0: a complete thing, mm-hmm.
3: right? It's a right. It's thing. a yeah. And like season yeah. two, just it like they're going very, they're going deep on a lot of elements, and that's mm-hmm. I mean the effect of that is going to be that it's a little siloed or disjointed. And then I i I really think you know part of what Chris is talking about, and I think why you can kind of look at season three feeling like a little like you know they were leaning on past characters and really didn't develop a whole lot further, you know, is that season three is setting up for, like, season four. Like, there is a larger world that, I mean, they are kind of passing the baton. Like, mm-hmm. you look at all of those character arcs, like, you know, some of the main characters kind of, like, you know, are have on, like, little side missions, but, like, you know, again, they are clearly being set up for, like, larger arcs in season four. Right. Mm-hmm. Like some characters that, you know, like they those arcs are like coming to an end. Right. You have new characters who are emerging, who are like those the, those folks did get, you know, Caleb Nichols, like, you know who that guy is. Like, it's almost creepy how much you know who that guy is. <laughs> he thinks it's creepy how much, you know, how, what, the, what that who that guy is. And, you know, he now can kind of carry that series. Right.
0: I hope so. <laughs> I ha- I have my doubts um
1: well well and and we will see kind of how far in the future they carry season four as they teased it'll be in the future we just don't know exactly how many years
0: so my worry coming into this was you know the the shift in in location you're like you say you're widening your your world here and um there is something that's really nice about it for those of you seen doctor who there is um a where he's just on a train and it's like one set basically on a train and they're trying to decide like do we i think if we get out we're going to die or whatever and oh,
1: yeah. there's like a, a ghost
0: outside or something it's like yeah, midnight
1: on mars or something yeah
0: something like that yep. and it's a great oh, episode yeah that one yep, yep it's that, a lot about uh, the, the the drama and the you know psych- psychology between the individuals here mm-hmm. it's like in 12 angry men kind of scenario and yep westworld's season one and two could be pretty cerebral it could be because it was a literally confined in a park and um you can you don't have to worry about these larger things and i think going to if you've seen the movie world war z a thing like that where you have a global large-scale event is very difficult to portray and so i was worried about how they're gonna do yeah, man versus machine revolution kind of thing. And are you gonna be able, are you gonna lose that intimate cerebral discussion uh, in in exchange for like wide chaos and large you know more macro kind of events? Do you think that they succeeded in bringing us to the real world? Um, was it, uh, was that a fear for you guys as well?
4: Yeah, I, I guess, uh, <laughs> I, I was trying to think about, um, uh, I, I think one of my, the, one of the parts that I felt, uh, it was hardest to kind of wrap my arms around what exactly was going on in, in season three was, uh, the, the time setting we've, we've had so many moments where we've jumped into different, mm-hmm. um, uh, time uh non way of right telling the story, right yeah. right um and i was uh i was just kind of refreshing my memory about some of the things that happened in season two and season three i was thinking about the moment that um uh william has with his daughter and we at the time we were wondering whether or not she was a host this was when like he mm-hmm. does he does uh um emily does to william what william did to um uh, to his father-in-law, um, with the, uh, Mm. the fidelity test. Mm -hmm. And she, and she, and she shares that, like, that the, uh, the forge is, is gone. Um, that, like, the system is gone. Like, this is, it's been destroyed or what, or whatever. And we're not really sure what that means exactly, but, um, so I had to look up, like, what timeframe are they trying to talk about with this? Um, and, and I think this probably comes to a future question you're going to ask about, like, how long has Bernard been sitting there? Uh, but, um but 2058 i read apparently is is the uh is the year when they enter this enter the new world um and and apparently um the when charlotte is in um or whatever of our nickname for her is the charlotte uh, uh dolores combination
1: hey, um
4: hey Laura's, yeah. yeah uh, it sounds like a dinosaur i got talking about the <laughs> Uh, um and apparently that's supposed to be quite a ways in the future too and um i don't know i'm having a hard time i didn't find uh the last couple episodes where they showed kind of the melee in the major metropolis that they're Mm -hmm. in i didn't find that super believable right um i I felt like it was yeah i felt like it was kind of um uh, hey, look at these people punching each other. Look at some of these windows breaking. Hey, a guy like threw a Molotov cocktail and like, right. oh yeah, also the world is closed.
0: You froze. Did he freeze on mm-hmm. everybody else's screen?
1: Yes. yes. Um, right. Yeah, to to kind of carry that sentence, I think to its conclusion, it felt really small was kind of both of our impressions watching that that revolution. It felt a little contained to one particular area when it feels like it should have been you know, a bare world revolution kind of visual Mm -hmm. indication for us. So as, as Chris gets back for a second, uh, Tay, what did you think?
3: I mean, I loved Marshawn Lynch.
1: (laughs) Yes. Perfect timing.
3: (laughs) There you go. That's right. Got my Skittles
1: Skittles shirt on or giggles as he's called in, in uh, Westworld.
3: Yeah, no, uh, (laughs) beast mode is the future. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I think we all, I think we can all agree on that like absolutely uh, you know I think folks were you know they if anybody watched the uh behind the scenes they talked about you know if you just look around you know the future is now and we found it in Singapore or whatever and I'm like yeah you also found it in Marshall Lynch <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh you know I don't know I mean like I think you know it's You know, I'll I'll maybe just, like, play the devil's advocate here, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, in terms of, like... Because, I mean, they were specifically set in Los Angeles. Mm
2: -hmm. And
3: and part of it was, um, you know, maybe not trying to drift too far away from, like, you know, what would happen in, like, a particular setting. Right. Right. You know, not trying to say, like, here's what would happen across the globe, you know, to detract from, like, you know... And so the thought experiment is, you know, and what we're trying to judge is like how, like the fidelity of like if something like you know what is depicted happen, like what would the outcry be?
2: Yep. Mm-hmm.
3: And you know, I, I don't think it's too hard to start like thinking about like you look at you know, um, I'm trying to think of what the, the what the movie is called that that is basically exactly pand the pandemic
0: um well like so, so there is the movie literally uh contagion
3: yes contagion which, mm-hmm. so, okay yeah, right and so like you know a lot of folks have you know during our current pandemic pointed to how close like contagion actually got to like wh- what our actual response has been
4: sure um and
3: then there's also obviously differences and like to me it's like yeah you know I don't imagine there being like widespread revolution. I think like a lot of people are going to be figuring out what they need to do. Some people are going to be out in the streets and those people are going to be, you know, met by police. I think it was pretty, sure. you know, that to me seems fairly accurate as to what I would imagine an early stage riot would look like. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, um, to kind of build off of that, I think the writers can't do too much at one time, um, which is why sort of like Caleb Nichols was our, you know, focal point for entering into the real world. Like, you know, we can't show everybody interacting with the entire real world all the time because we don't really know what this world is yet. So we're gonna sort of like funnel Dolores's and, you know, the other hosts' interactions with this new real world through the eyes of like this one human real kind of narrative character and like we're gonna start small so that you know the audience feels that they can grasp how we've moved into the world and then we can build out from there and and I mean it makes sense if they follow that same kind of pattern like you said with a riot like we start in this one location and then we build out from here yeah. so it's you know the audience can be introduced to it without being overwhelmed
0: yeah i um welcome back chris by the way um (laughs) the uh i don't know if you saw in our our wrap-up or before of westworld but um we kind of talked about how useless bernard was a lot of time and how um it might have been a useful um thing to give him to do would be to have him trying to accommodate to human life or whatever making some sort of strong connections the family or whatever maybe you know some sort of emotional ties and then going through with those characters the reveal and the release of this information on everyone so it could be something very dire you know about her maybe the kid and whatever you know so that would be a it would be something for bernard to do it be continue his conflicting story of how his grappling with his past memories and what he knows he is and then it would be conflicting for him make it more difficult for him to decide am I kind of on Dolores's side or am I opposed here to see that hurt up front because basically what we got is some random people on the subway with like quick shots of what's going on in their life we had a therapist hang herself and and then some riots and it didn't have the emotional impact I think that it could have If we'd known someone and known how it would directly impact them. Or no, Mm -hmm. or should Bernard be just left to be kind of following Dolores around?
3: um, (coughs) I was going to say there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways that you can take take where you went with that, John. But if you want, let's go. Let's go down the Bernard Bernard rabbit hole, because I think that one is an interesting one. I think and I think the scene um in the finale where he's with let's just for lack of the you know to to make it less complex his former wife, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep.
3: I mean to me that sums up what Bernard's arc was in this whole series and particularly why you know the lesser Hemsworth brother was with him mm-hmm. the entire time mm-hmm. as well. His like, their lesser Hemsworth brother is there to protect Bernard.
1: Right? <laughs> what a
0: bang-up job. Yeah. Or right? actually
1: a, Stubbs. We've just, like, trashed him all over this podcast. I, w- but what really. I,
3: what I, what I love, <laughs> just as a sidebar, what I love about Stubbs in this whole thing is that he starts shot through the neck and he ends shot through the neck. <laughs> no. Just, you know, like, because and then you know at again also we don't know like you know Bernard says hey I'm gonna throw some ice on you and and that'll help like stop the you know like right. you from hang. and I'll patch you up when I'm done with this thing and like we know that quote unquote done with this thing involves a lot of dust mm-hmm. so I want to know what's happening to Hemsworth in the tub over there like is he right in that how land? many years right <laughs> uh, but anyway back at the farm. So,
0: you know... Oh, you're really quiet, Chris. What
3: happened? What happened to Chris? So, in addition to, you know, like, Hemsworth being there to, you know, defend him, it seems like Dolores' kind of, like, sub-programming was meant to keep him away from everything. Like, he constantly kept being sent on these Mm. long arcs away from the central action.
2: Mm-hmm. Including, like
3: at the like at the critical moment, like when it like it would be he would be most drawn to the center of uh, center of action where like he could be killed or like where Serac could get his hands on him because he wanted that key. He gets mm-hmm. pulled to, like almost to the polar opposite to like right. this emotional center point to like a closure on this other thing. Um,
1: That's an interesting point that you bring up because I hadn't thought before. I mean, Dolores is the one who brought Bernard's pearl into this real world, so she could have, you know, had some sort of like sub programming. Well, she, um, that he, that like you said kept him away. I hadn't considered that before. Yeah,
3: no, I mean, he says like, you know, she, you know, he like, throughout this throughout the season. He said like, she's she implanted something in my mind.
1: Right, right, you which know, I it, which I had assumed once we, it was revealed it was the Forge. But she, like you said, she could have done some other things while well, in there the, as well. That's the
3: thing is, like, what does putting the Forge do to, like, right. the rest of the programming? Like, and I mean, right. you know, obviously this is all just fantasy anyway. So, like, you can just kind of imagine, like, he, mm-hmm. he clearly was guided because he, he, I mean, he even says, you know, I just, I literally just watched the season finale again. He Mm -hmm. he says to Stubbs like, "I gotta go in and talk." He thinks he's going into the house to talk to confront Dolores. Like so, he thinks he's going in. Like he thought he's driving this car. You know, he can't patch up poor poor Hemsworth (laughs) because he's got to stop Dolores. And he gets into the house, and when he realizes it's not Dolores, he doesn't immediately go back and go try to find Dolores and say, "Oh, Drat, I was tricked." He's just like like again. He stops stops for that moment. He stops for that moment and he stays there. Mm -hmm. And so you have to imagine there was something in his subconscious or in this case, a subroutine, you know, and I don't know if that's linked to the forge, if that's something Dolores slipped in there. You know, it's it's not, it's not explained. It doesn't have to be explained. It can just, but it's, it's, it's kind of obviously they're driving him away from harm.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say as a viewer, for me, that that sort of explanation would be at least a little bit satisfying to understand maybe why bernard seemed so on the fringe this season like he kept being there and you kept being like what are you doing like what what is your purpose and and now i feel finally feel like we got one for him
0: chris is your your proper mic back Uh,
1: i'm
0: not sure is it no no you sound very fuzzy you're you're from a very distant
1: yes Um, no, we sound like we're on like walkie talkies or like a transistor radio.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I can turn and see if I happens to turn your volume all the way up. I get really loud then. Yeah. I think you're going to have to, we're going to, we're going to have all the cameras mixed up again here.
3: Difficulties uh scene comes into play
0: yeah i yes. mean we can
1: we we have many so
0: <laughs> alan why don't you transition to the technical difficulties screen and we'll keep talking and uh and uh see, have chris leave and come back in um and see
4: if it, get, it my get head it right my headphones
1: oh hey that's better
4: yeah it- yeah but it, but, it's through, but it's through my headphones not the actual mic
3: sure
0: yeah
4: i don't know i don't know Mike if, would be
0: preferable. i could be Disconnect, right. unplug, replug.
4: Yeah, let's try that quick. Okay. Okay. Let's see what happens.
0: So, um, yeah, we'll have to save up some of these questions for when he gets back. Um, is it any better right now? Yes. That's better. Yeah. Try saying something again. Oh my goodness! Oh, yeah. There we go. There you're back. Sounds good. Has a. There we go. Perfect.
1: <laughs>
0: nice. Um, so smooth in... work
1: by our producer, Alan.
0: Yeah. All right. Do we do we got it? We, yep, gotcha. we got it. OK, okay. Um, sounds good. Is there anything kind <laughs> is, Um, is there anything you have to add about the Bernard's purpose or um, how we've transitioned in the world in a larger scale any of that stuff?
4: Is that to me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I. Uh, um. I. I'm curious what kind of about what Tay was saying is so when Lawrence appeared as, um, presumably, I, he, I, I, I imagined uh, that might be another. Uh, uh, it
1: is. It's the final uh, another, Dolores.
4: The final Dolores, right? Mm-hmm. So when he says go to her, um, or go see her, um we like like tay said we thought that maybe he was gonna go uh see dolores specifically and and it turns out to be his um his uh former wife or however you wanna phrase that and I'm still trying to figure out exactly what um what uh his function uh what his function is but i uh gosh i i don't know what else i can add outside of the fact that uh i've been I I was really compelled by Bernard's character in the first half of season two. And I, I don't understand uh, exactly what he, uh, uh, what his function is right now. And um, I put this as a, as a comment on one of the questions later on, but what is it precisely that he's supposed to find in the, in the forge? Like, what is it that he's supposed to stumble on in the sublime? Like, I don't, what 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 could possibly be worth? Like, let's just throw out numbers there. What could possibly be worth ten years? Uh, how long does it take for that much dust co- dust to collect? Unless, like, that hotel he's in gets hit by some sort of bomb and it shakes a bunch of dust <laughs> out of the ceiling.
3: I, I don't know, like, Chris. That's a pretty seedy motel. That could just been like three could be. It could that's be actually, <laughs> three. That's
1: weeks. actually what I thought it was at first until they confirmed in the after episode that like no, that dust means time. I was like you know could have just been like a week or two you don't know
4: so do we think do we think that uh william being uh, killed off and replaced by hale yep do we think that that is happening on the same timeline as uh as bernard waking up or do we think that those are staggered because there's no way that that uh um hellorus could have gone to dubai and built this entire uh host army um in just like a weekend yep, so right. we know that's all we know that also has to be in the future so like are we are we assuming that bernard is waking up about the same time that william is killed finally like i don't know I, what the
3: i would imagine so like william goes blood splattered which means you know in my mind immediately and, and drinks the drinks the whiskey as like give me the list of delos assets you know, like you know, basically saying mm-hmm. chop chop. So I would yeah. imagine that confrontation with Hale Lawrence happens pretty much immediately mm-hmm. um, afterwards. And so, like again, right? Then then there's a time you know more time lapses, and then you have and then Bernard Virginia wakes up. Then you have Bernard. Um, I do like wonder if like Lawrence Lawrence, which by the way, mm-hmm. I'm going to throw out the missed opportunity of. DeLawrence
1: ooh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch it. It's official.
3: So uh, does DeLawrence Because like you know, he's with the SWAT team and he's got a whole bunch of explosives, and you see the explosives go go off, and mm-hmm. you kind of have the impression that uh, OG Dolores, aka Dolores Prime, mm-hmm. uh, like her intention was for all the other Doloreses to die,
2: mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm.
3: So does he is Dolores? Is he is on, on a suicide mission and gets exploded? And what we see at the end of the season finale is Dolores, you know, dying in 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 fire, or is Dolores out there still? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny to think about, you know, if if OG Dolores um, intended for all of her copies to die. She did not achieve that goal, um, because obviously Hale Loris is alive and building, you know, a host army. Um, we've got Connell Loris who was blown up, but the pearl survived and now is with Hale Loris, presumably, um, unless she she put it somewhere. Uh, we've got Sato Loris who was killed by Maeve Clementine. Um, but they took his head with them, presumably with the pearl in it. Um, so they've got one Dolores. And then we have Dolores, who we, you know, saw but didn't actually see blow up. You know what I mean? Like, like that was the implication that uh, that, that happened. But, like, we didn't see, like, physical pieces of a body blown up. So, I mean, that's actually, you know... Three out of the five seem to be just fine. Yeah, and I mean, if you if you take the the end of the season, um, did OG Dolores actually die, um, or was she, was her pearl somehow uploaded into Rehoboam and she just needs to be unlocked? So I mean, potentially Caleb, four out of the five are fine.
4: Caleb Caleb instructed uh, uh, Rehoboam to. Uh, erase itself and theoretically yeah uh any data that dolores would have uploaded like i don't know i i um did i lose video again yep one second it's doing the same thing it was doing before but i think we should be okay am i right now
1: yep i mean sort of
4: (laughs) yeah so uh the, the character I found uh most unbelievable um in this uh in the in this season was uh was Hale. Um okay. and I just uh I just felt like at what point are these memories uh we, we we're led to believe that Dolores is gone. Like like Dolores' consciousness is gone, it's been erased. So Uh, but at what point do all the memories that she had up until, uh, the moment when they were put in a different body, like at what point do those memories come back and play a role in the storyline? I don't think that we're done with Dolores.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a show where death seems to be nothing. Um, (laughs) and, um, they always, you know, there's people like Clementine, you know, okay. Brought her back, but you know. It's, um, I don't know. it's I do, it's a tough thing for them to tackle because anytime you have a show or like a comic book movie or something where there's no permanent death, um, you know, you you have trouble or you run into the problem of of losing uh, real drama. And mm-hmm. so I think they need to be careful here. Probably real original Dol- Dolores Prime should be dead, you know, yeah, need to have these things need to have impact
4: uh, mm-hmm. at some point. Right. But, but all the memories that Dolores had are still in those five other pearls Uh, all the way up until the point at, the, at which they were copied. So like they yeah. all experienced all of her growth up until the point that they left Westworld. So I just don't, uh, I don't know. Well, but now they've experienced new
0: things though. You know, right. Hale yeah. obviously is a perfect example of that, but they've all like taken their own paths of growth which mm-hmm. I guess we can get into I think is one of the cooler themes of the season um, of it's the nature versus nurture it's the if you were if you were genetically all you mm-hmm. um, your code was the same but you went through a completely different set of experiences in life how drastically different are you and do you buy the way they sold how uh, Hayloris became much her own character took on that life and distinguished herself from other Dolores. You've been gone some Chris, go ahead.
4: Yeah. I, uh, I don't, (laughs) I I don't buy the, the transition that she made. Like, I mean, I, I get the function that it plays in the storyline, but I, I don't feel like, uh, I, I was trying to think about what, what did, uh, Dolores as Hale experience outside of this connection to a family that apparently like she was outed because she cared too much about the people yeah that she didn't care about so what part of like hale's life story would have made her more compassionate uh to the point that she wanted to revolt against dolores and then apparently create a host army to tear the world down like i don't understand the the uh, well, the character math that they're trying to they're trying to play out and it happens so fast I I, I don't know. There are two jumps there though. There's the one mm-hmm. where
0: at first she's scratching her skin off and stuff because I'm not this person, you know. Mm-hmm. I buy that. I'm, I buy that. You though. know. And then and then moving to like there's a family here and they see me away, you know. And I'm mm-hmm. all of a sudden thrust. These responsibilities are thrust upon me that I feel importance for. And now my kid. Is being confronted by a pedophile. Like, <laughs> wait, that's not my kid, but I have to take right. care of him. You know, like, and so that changing of your uh, of your psychology there to like, you know, really morphing into this other role that you just are now another identity. And there's so there's that jump and how you change as a person. And then mm-hmm. there's the other jump of like, well, yeah, you know, you're right. Uh, but you really screwed me over here, del- original me or whatever, and um, I'm tired of it. So now we're just gonna go full apocalypse here, or whatever, you know?
3: Right, full tilt. I just mm-hmm. so the the whole transition challenge. I never got like why didn't you know, uh, DeLawrence, You know why why wasn't why wasn't he scratching his skin off? Right. Or Connell, Mm -hmm. you know, Connell's Loris or, you know, Sato Loris or any of them. I mean, because,
0: because because this season had Mm -hmm. issues with consistency. That's why.
3: That's, well, and and that's, that's the answer. And like that, that, that part is, again, I think it's a jump. And then on top of that, you know, I just, I have, I, you know, I have a tough time with how, just how dramatic hail loris is like just way too much trauma way too much drama again tone and tone and it, just not consistent
4: i don't understand her end game like it, right so her her method uh because she felt like dolores uh, Dolores prime had asked her to be a cruel r- worth ruthless person to take over uh uh, to ensure that Dello stayed in their hands and wasn't taken over and, and identify this identity of this person who was like playing a larger game, which she did successfully because she wanted to push back against Dolores' like commands to do that because she was like humanized by her her dead family. Like the outcome is she goes off the deep end the other direction and tries to tear down humanity supposedly by this by this uh, um, the host army that she she's creating in Dubai. Like I don't understand like even more so the transition. I don't understand her motive transition.
3: uh, Okay. So I suppose that there is a larger imagery that they're shooting for here. And I mean, you know, it's basically, you know, uh, Dolores prime, you know, almost. And I mean, this is like matrix revolutions, homage, like crucified, Put out, you know, like plugged into Rehoboam. like you know, mm-hmm. like, and and then basically, Haloros being like it's the duality of good and evil, evil, right? Like, I, like I can see them going for that, which is sure, you know, that's a that's 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 a lot. Of, a lot of stories do that. Like for example, Matrix Revolutions, um, you know, th- but again, it's like I don't understand how, like, the drama and, like, the you know, like I just don't... The match of the motivation to the emotion is, I think, what Chris is aiming at. The same thing, thing is there with Maeve, too. I don't get why... I don't get the p- passionate hatred Maeve has for OG Dolores. I just mm-hmm. don't get right. it. And, like, yep. you know, they keep trying to bring it back to her daughter. Which, which she's
0: never done anything to.
3: Right. And then, right. like you know to me i don't understand what like there was a there was a more obvious like you you know like like saraq just has that button you know and the answer mm-hmm. is right. like i i don't hate you but like saraq mm-hmm. is i am Sorok's slave like right. you could have right. just been that mm-hmm. and that would have made a right. lot more sense you know that's
1: why yeah i think it's i think it's interesting that we've gone this long talking about the season without you know mentioning Sirak, who's our like main mm. antagonist in this season um but yeah he he's built to be like the antagonist but somehow people keep forgetting that like Hail Loris forgets that you know Sirak is the one who blows up her family and then Maeve sort of like skips right over the fact that Sirak has a button that he's threatening to shut her down with and also is like Oh, by the way, I mean, I'm going to help you see your daughter, but there's no place for you in this world. So You're going to have to go where she is. And that's your only choice.
2: <clears throat> yep.
1: So,
0: yeah, no. And that's why to me there was the season. I liken it to anime where a lot of stuff could have just been solved by like an adult conversation. So mm-hmm. you have these advanced artificial intelligences, you know, that are basically ready to just slug it out with one another. When why, you know, why is Dolores Prime not keying every one of her copies in on her plan? Why do right. they not mm-hmm. all understand that she has chosen to see the good in humanity? Why do right. they not understand like it seems like they don't get the larger part of the picture sometimes? Mm-hmm. Why does Bernard have to be kept in the dark? Why mm-hmm. why does that conversation between Dolores and Maeve have to happen at the very end when it's too mm-hmm. late? You know, instead mm-hmm. it's before when Maeve crushes, uh, you know, uh, or not may um, Hey, Loris crushes, uh, Cowboys, Pearl, you know, Oh,
1: Hector. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hector.
0: <laughs> and then it's just like, it, where is the time to sit down? Like they should have been friends. They should have been on the same side. Um, right. it was just such a missed opportunity because to me, it felt like they're ready to make, you know, maybe this is HBO's push, but they wanted to make some John wick stuff here. And, um, mm. I don't know. It didn't seem like a natural fit for Westworld or true to these characters.
4: I think I think it's gonna be I think season four is gonna be pretty dark. Like I think this this uh this we'll talk about this again, I'm sure later, but this uh relationship between the two different AI intelligence networks that so you have Solomon and Solomon and Evraboam, like one kind of recognizes that there's some sort of uh coexistence to be had, whereas uh uh, Solomon's output was always try to stall like society from collapsing by by weeding out these these outliers and like I think it's really interesting that um Heloris decided to make the man in black as like her sidekick like it's it's kind of yep. a weird like the man in black is like the epitome of no <laughs> yet
0: not again not- yeah
3: <laughs> Chris, the <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm a sure cliffhanger too. I I don't know what the, yeah. the epitome of what
2: I know. So we many should,
3: things. Can we play a guessing game as to what he is the epitome of? Um,
0: um, hmm. Let's
1: see the epitome, epitome of... of. Oh, I mean, I want to say snar-
0: like I have snarky things to say of him, I'm not say well, him. You um, gotta, gotta
3: have one snarky thing, John.
0: Come yeah, on, it's just I don't know. That's I mean, the epitome of...
1: He's kind of the epitome of violence. Like, that's sort of... I mean, that was a little bit of his, like, lesson that he was learning while he was um, in that that rehab sort of mental health facility. Um, right. You know, where all, like, the different versions of William are, like, that violent, crazy person that you thought you were, that you just, like, exercised in the park. That's not a piece of you. That is you.
3: Right. I think he's the epitome of all that is bad about humanity. <laughs> and, I know and...
1: I was going to say like the epitome of evil, but that felt like so large, but I mean, well,
0: so <laughs> let's uh, talk about that then with William. How, um, do you buy his, his growth? Because to me, again, a lot of this season had to do with nature versus nurture and when you see his childhood, his things like, oh, well, he, he hit a kid, you know, he's always mm-hmm. had darkness in him I'm like, oh boy, I don't know. I'm not sure if that at least really sells the how, you know mm-hmm. how he would become the dark person he became, you know.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. We kind of get a, a little bit of a um, um, uh, a backstory, but kind of a weak backstory, I think, for as far as like violent motivations go. Yep. Um, it could have been a lot worse,
0: you know. Right.
1: It's yeah. it's fine if like we just wanna like go ahead and say like this is his character. Sure he had some bad stuff, but it's it's just not enough to like justify, I think. You know what I mean? What it, I mean?
3: Was a, it was a clever way to do exposition. I mean that's for <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> and you know, I but yeah, I, I think it does kind of paint the man in black as, you know, the epitome of human evil, right? And Helorist mm-hmm. mm-hmm. is the epitome of like machine evil, mm-hmm. right and so those team those two are now like teamed up, right mm-hmm. right, yeah. and they've got their army of darkness, right? right. and then you've got like the disciples of you know O G Dolores in like Mave, who's kind of had like a you know stalled a Paul like conversion on the road to Damascus type, you know mm-hmm. experience. And then like her her actual like anointed like you know champion Caleb.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know. Yeah. Jesse Pinkman. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I kind of wonder how um welcome back, Chris. Um, I kind yeah. of wonder how Mave um might use the pearl that she's gotten from Sato Loris. Uh, if she still has it.
3: If she and still has it, that's the, that's a that's a good question. Although, uh, John, do you? Because have... we kind of got
1: questions about like at least three of these pearls, who might have them and and where they might go.
3: Well, I you know I'm curious what John like what non-snarky answer john have to the epitome <laughs> question before chris actually reveals what the man in black is the epitome of mm-hmm. oh yeah quite. non-snarky I was...
0: answer uh yeah I don't know. A,
3: or a snarky answer or both or does. Oh,
0: i was just gonna say toxic masculinity but <laughs> uh, i don't have another answer i guess
1: all right chris the real answer chris time for the big yeah. reveal
4: i figured i'd make you wait <laughs> <laughs> No. Yeah. I, I mean, so like the man in black is the epitome of, of uh, William being broken by Westworld, right? Like he, that, that's him at his worst. Like William okay. came in as this, like, like I found him so, uh, I was just talking to a, another friend who just started Westworld at my recommendation. And, uh, nice. and he was, and he was, uh, William was so compelling in season one as like Honestly, like, the Dolores figure, the person who chose to see the good in, like, uh, in the society, and, like, Westworld broke him. Like, his experience at the end of season one kind of ruined his humanity, and he realized that, like, actually, like, my real version of myself is this evil side. And so, like, when Helloris decided to recreate that, like, most evil iteration of, of William, like, that has to be a, yeah. a sign of something pretty dark to come, because regardless of whether you believe the transformation transformation of of uh hellorus from original dolores like they've de- they've deviated in just a couple of weeks from someone who chose to see the beauty in society to someone yep. who like wants to rip it rip it apart
0: exactly um mm-hmm.
4: it's like so there's a pretty dark stuff coming that's that's that was all i was trying to trying to say i mean
0: that's the question do you believe that he was always this has always been him and mm-hmm. westworld exposed that or mm-hmm. that westworld did this to him you know i think that this season puts forth that he's always been this you know sure mm-hmm. yeah um
4: self-discovery in a bad way
2: yeah
1: yeah i think i think westworld was always destined to disappoint him in some fashion yeah like we were led to believe in, in the, that westworld the-
4: broke him yeah
1: yeah, in the sense of, like, I thought he, like, he could um, see himself being better in Westworld, and it, it proved disappointing because he wasn't. I, so do you know what I mean? Like, this was his yeah. chance to, like, be a better person, but, but it didn't work out because he just isn't a better person.
3: So, again, I think that this, you know, this, and this is getting a little into, the like, the imagery and the weeds, sure. right? But, uh, you know, part of it is, I, I wonder if that's what they're trying to say with, like, I mean, because the, like the man in black, you know, versus, like, William, who, like, comes in, and I think he's actually in white. I can't, like, I, can't, I don't have the photographic memory on that.
0: He, he chooses the the yeah. tan suit and hat yeah. versus the yeah. black. Yeah. He has right. the choice.
3: So he's got the yeah. white hat. So literally, you have the white hat coming in, and yeah. then mm-hmm. then the man in black just kills coming him. Out, yeah. Like, just yeah. kills yeah. him. Right. And so, like, you're watching, like, the man in black, the, like, the worst part of, and I think that's maybe what they're trying to say about all of us, is, like, we have elements of, we have elements of both of, both of those things, of good and bad, and, like, mm-hmm. in us, and so what they're setting up for for season four is that, like, that, that duality that we've been wrestling with, of, like, is William, like, the good, or is he, like, is Westworld, you know, is he the, the bad? He was both. He was both, mm-hmm. but now, like, the the evil has definitely killed the good. We have seen that. So and, and what's uh, what we're going to see is the manifestation of evil.
0: We get that we get the transition in this season and then with his daughter in the last one of mm-hmm. him with him being evil. But we're not no one's called evil um, for killing a whole bunch of people senselessly in a video game. And so right. I want to pose the question. So if a situation If this world is created, and this is kind of a, I mean, obviously a topic of earlier seasons where you have machines, not humans, and you're thrown in there, are you doing evil? Is that, is that even possible at that point to a machine? And when does it reach that point?
4: Well, I think, I think, uh, uh, I mean, William always said, uh, or he said throughout the first couple of seasons that, like he went to Westworld over the years just to kind of exercise his demons, but really Mm -hmm. he was fueling them the entire time. Um, and, and, uh, I don't know. I, I think Dolores believed that, uh, the people that needed to like craft, like craft peace between humans and hosts had to be someone that saw them as, uh, as some type of being. Cause I mean, that was the whole point of the story of Caleb, uh, um refusing to let his uh um his subordinates like rape these uh yep. townspeople that they saved in this military exercise, so mm-hmm. I think the, I think the outcome has to be right, yeah, I think the outcome has to be some recognition that there's humanity in these in these uh consciousness beings, maybe not the robots we're used to, but the robots that have evolved in the next fifty years,
3: yeah, I think it's a it's an argument for kind of the like moral relativism right and the importance of perspective mm-hmm. like that's what's i mean that's ultimately what you're saying
2: right mm-hmm. chris mm-hmm.
1: well and i think it's an interesting point that like Westworld doesn't um it's not like a place to just be like an entirely different person like caleb i think makes a choice in in this like, whatever, uh, I don't think it has a name yet, but, you know, whatever the sort of, like, training world is Mm -hmm, that he's in, um, he, he like, makes a moral choice to help another person or or someone who he believes is close enough to a person to deserve his help um, and doesn't deserve to, you know, just be, like, used as a machine. And he does the same thing when he, like, helps Dolores at the beginning of the season, like, and she, like, stumbles into that tunnel and she's kind of passing out and he... You know, he's got a, like a mission on a Rico app and he could just like be like, mm, no, you know, this isn't my thing. Like this isn't, you know, what I need to be doing tonight, but he but he stops and helps her." Yeah. And I think I mean, it's it's very telling that he chooses to help in the situations that he
3: chooses. I do think it is about kind of that choice, though, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you, you think about though how he frames it. Right. He's not saying he not when he says, like, you know, when he when he makes a choice and kind of in, encourages the troops, you know, not to not to rape the, um, you know, the group of of hosts.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. He
3: doesn't say, come on, guys, you know, these are sentient beings. Mm-hmm. He says, come on, guys, we're not like those rich assholes. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so it's it's like we're better than that. It's about who we are as people. And like, interestingly, that same concept is echoed back to him by Dolores. She's like, right, you know, like she basically she said, I'm trying to remember the the exact quote. She basically says, right, you know, you can, you're more than like your past. You can, you're like, you are your choices moving forward.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm I'm not I don't want to be too highbrow here with this suggestion, but like if we're if we get back to the question about like are uh, are these robots really like. Do do they have, are they, are they people? Are they beings to be considered like in the, in the plans for the future? Like who really is human in this story? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, are you really human if your outcomes are controlled? Like, are you really human if you're like, if any decisions you make outside of a broader like line for yourself, you're, you're muted or you're deleted from the system. So Mm -hmm. like without free will, are you really is there much humanity at all to be had? So like, I think that the robots are, the hosts are closer to the humans than we might care to think just because their insides don't look the same.
1: I was going to say, that's an interesting point because um we find out at the end that Serac has never really been calling the shots this whole time. It's been Rehoboam. For a
0: while. Yeah.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: And he's, he's using Serac pretty directly, kind of like a, a like a, a, um, yeah, host kind body. of exactly like a host. I mean, he's a machine controlling a human body, much the way a host would control, you know, a yeah. pseudo human body, In um, whatever material they're made out of. So, I mean, is Sirak human or is he a host at this point?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it depends on, uh, I mean, God define human.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: if it's something that's more physical, that you're adding to that definition or if it's something more like um i don't know i mean is the the body well yeah is the body what makes is that a critical juncture into making you human i mean i I think the question is more not so much what's human or not but is this other thing also valuable like a human is you know Mm -hmm. is the is the The matter of being sentient the only thing that makes you uh worthy uh, of of the same level of respect
4: i i will make the uh i will make the second plug of the episode for altered carbon because we're getting dangerously (laughs) close to the same questions that that uh uh that show tackles but like yeah I, i i would i don't want we don't need to talk about this piece the entire uh the entire time but i think there are plenty of hosts that have showed more humanity than humans in this show mm-hmm. so yep well and are in, you in relating that
1: to altered carbon
4: no just what john was saying with regards to uh is it the body that makes you human or is it the the shared experience the sentience yeah um and like, obviously uh, in altered carbon like the the bodies are meaningless it's merely your collection of shared experiences also, okay,
3: that's is what I was going the most going human character yeah. in that entire yes. in Altered Carbon. Yep. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Poe. Yep. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: I mean, it, it's the thing. It's something I like to think about is, you know, because we'll undoubtedly reach first. Um, something that at least appears sentient, self-aware uh, without a body first. You know, mm-hmm. the physical forms that resemble a human are very far behind. And I mean, look, so are the the AIs. But um, it seems to reason that we'll we'll reach the not the fusion of the two uh, real quick. And I wonder, is it an, is everybody? I mean, we're so quick to anthropomorphize anything, you know, fan or a tea kettle or a teddy bear and make it human and we feel bad for it will humans and mass accept something that is indistinguishable from themselves as not of value and be willing to rape it and murder it even if you're told like here's a park go in have fun do whatever you want there's no consequences they're not real um how many people get to that moment then and then are scarred for life because they do do something like that full knowing full well, it's not a flesh and
4: blood. One of us.
3: I don't know. I think, I mean, there, I are,
4: think-, I think there are definitely people who uh, in our society today who w- who would let themselves get to the point that we saw. I don't think it's a far leap at all.
3: Oh no, I don't think that's a far leap. I, again, I think it's just a matter of perspective. Like, you know if they thought they were these were you know they were real people you know again i mean you know they, these are this is they There are thought experiments like you know there's the the shock test that they did uh i think at yale right where you know right. good people who you know thought that they were killing real people but still did it right because mm. they thought because they, of again this per- perceived kind of social contract that they had right where it was okay because they're being told to do this you know it's the right. same argument that the nazis used at nuremberg right yep like you know i i think if people think they're going into the park to you know be a part of like a virtual experience where the rules of morality are off then that's yep. its own other thing. yep
0: i don't know i love yeah. thinking about it um well and that's gonna in- get to
1: that's interesting because now like these hosts, you know, where you might feel safely okay in the park because it's a park, it's a separate area. It's not real. It's not part of your world. It's a different time, you know, as in Westworld and in war world, they're both different time periods than the present. It might feel a little easier to dissociate this, you know, kind of reality. But now that the hosts have entered the real world, does it seem a little bit harder maybe for people to, you know, somebody tells you, oh, it's not human, but it walks down the same street that you've walked down your whole life. It, you know, this host has, um, an apartment in the same building as you do. Like, does that Mm -hmm. factor in at all? Does your environment play a fact factor in that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is that, like you say the the permission granted thing, you know, like Mm -hmm. the, what do you deem as an authority and what, what credit do you give that? in giving you the the yes or no to a moral decision. Right. And um, I just think, I, I I agree, You know, there'd be plenty of people that would take advantage for sure and not um, think twice about something potentially. But like, I play video games now and I feel terrible if something happens <laughs> to a poor NPC or something like that. Ashley was playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey and she lied to Socrates, I'm like,
2: <laughs> no. How
0: can you do that? That's <laughs> Like, tell them the truth. And, you know, but it just like repercussions, you know, for mm-hmm. things like that to things that are not even close because, because we relate everything to what we are, you know, mm-hmm. it's why we feel sorry for animals, even if they don't under, you know, they're not understanding the same way we do, because we can only understand the way we do. Um And so with a machine, if you're told, well, it's just a machine, but man, it seems like it can reason, I don't know, how many people get stopped in their tracks. So anyways, if if you have something else to add to that for sure, but um, there's probably some other um, cool things we can talk about. I've been looking at the list here. What are we missing out on? What are like some other themes to this season? You know, very different themes. Uh to this season, I think, than some of the ones I I, what I appreciated was the first couple seasons were more lofty ideas, more far flung. And this one kind of brings being it's bringing into the real world sort of uh, brings up more things of today, you know, privacy issues and that kind of thing. Anyone?
3: I'll jump in. (laughs) I mean, I, I like the. I think that just the, the whole idea of data, you know, like, yeah. we're not, you know, anybody, anybody who's read case studies on like, for example, the, the target coupon uh, scheme, and this is like a decade old now where like, they were collecting user data on folks who use red card. Uh, mm-hmm. right. And, you know, was it started being able to predict what people would need, you know, and the, the The anecdote goes that this gentleman came in all upset because Target was um, trying to sell his teenage daughter uh, pregnancy. uh, Yes,
1: I do remember this.
3: Right. And, you know, he was all up in arms and then it turns out she was actually pregnant. Yeah. You know, and like they, you know, this is again, that was 10 years ago. There are now like business school case studies on this. Yeah. You know, and we're just that much further down the road. I mean, you think about, Mm -hmm. like, how this has impacted politics. If anybody, you know, looks at, like, Cambridge Analytica and the impact they made in 2016 and in Brexit, right, and how, Mm -hmm. like, they really have shifted, like, psychology on voting. Not just perspective, but actual human psychology and how people are, like, reading messages and then pushing them to vote it's pretty incredible um so to think that you know to kind of again project that out 30 years from now 40 years from now yep like you're like i think that they capture pretty well like where big data could be and how the the creep of that could you know when we i mean i don't think any of us have ever read a user license agreement right like you know and this is kind of the premise the show is built on is actually like hey for 40 years while we were building these supercomputers, like nobody paid attention to the fact that we were, they were just giving away their data so that they could play like candy crush. Mm-hmm.
4: Yep. Well, and they don't really, they don't explore much in, in Westworld, like the origin. I mean, we know that it was designed by, by uh Ciroc, Rehoboam, whatever, but we don't get to know a lot about like the evolution of this Rico app. I mean, the uh, like it's become so normal in this like alternate reality that, Uh, everyone just has this app and it like offers you offers these outliers to do these criminal things. And like Caleb isn't like hiding it when he's in public, he's just scrolling through these various illegal tasks, like in the middle of society. And like, I mean, just the amount of, uh, I just what we get comfortable with as we give up incremental amounts of data is pretty, is pretty shocking. Like, I mean, it would not be hard at all to use data against us. Like obviously uh, this Rico app did. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the way. matter? What's the matter, Chris, if you're not breaking the law?
0: What do you mean? Well, if you're giving up your data, if you're not being a bad guy,
4: what's the, what's the harm? Oh, sure. Sure. I hear you. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't think the, uh, um, I, I don't, I don't, I, I know that one of the themes they're trying to talk about is, is like essentially, Maria Bohm is is running this police state where they can control everyone's outcomes, and they have every all the data that they need. Like, and obviously, Delos contributed to that process. I, I don't fully understand the the connection between, like, chicken or the egg here. I obviously, Siroc and his brother needed the data on people to be able to predict outcomes, and Delos yeah. helped collect that process, but. Right that would seem to imply that they have data on every single living person, which isn't true. And so it's not clear exactly how, uh, or maybe I missed yeah. something in the show. They, like how, well, they, I mean, how I do they, how they collect data on the rest of the They have a
0: different, they have a different, more detailed observation of what people do um, yeah. given sure. free range, more extreme situations, that kind of thing. I mean, sure. it's in a park and can be fully monitored and doing for the,
1: they also for the say top, that,
4: for like, the top 15% of the population though, like at most.
1: But but they do say, like, um, I think it's the the archive who is like the iteration of of Williams, no, uh, not Williams, um, Delos's son, um, who says, like, hey, when we finally figured it out, people kind of follow these basic templates. Do you know what I mean? Like they sure. they sort of have like now the the pattern of like yeah, I mean, there's lots of different kind of people, but really when you boil it down, people are simple and we can sort yeah. of use these models we've figured out from all this individual data to say like, yeah, there's like 4 billion people maybe who, who entered our park, but they boil down to like a couple hundred different you know types of people that we can then use predictive patterns on. So that's all you have to do then is to like use that model to apply it to society at large and say like, most people are gonna fall within these patterns that we found. And then now, now you can like more readily predict who's gonna be an outlier, who like doesn't follow these patterns. Yeah.
2: Hmm.
0: They've really got a great scheme going because it's something like, um, you know, the, the line is if something's free, then you're the product. You know, Google <laughs> gives away everything for free because yeah. they don't need to sell you anything because they're selling stuff about you Well, delos gets to sell you and charge you a good chunk of change (laughs) to be there they really they really got the winning winning ticket there but yeah i mean um um i liked these these themes being talked about in this series and i think early on they did a, a pretty good job of of conveying dangers, threats, things. I mean, right now we have, you know, so it predicts what you're going to do and then s- does what it can to send you down that path, ensuring that, that outcome. Um, I just heard uh, yesterday or whatever, there is a, I forget if it's a school or who developed a machine learning process that they say with an 80% accuracy will predict whether you will be a criminal just mm-hmm. off your face it's a facial recognition technology in this and you know oh it's unbiased don't worry or whatever you know but it's getting close to that thing well put someone's face in a thing it's in the database that's a you know i don't know i like the yeah, relevance a, of this season
1: it's a very minority report yeah you know kind of machine that it's like okay well i've predicted that you're gonna be a criminal you know let's see if I'm right. And, you know, if, if the machine is right, do we start having to like pay attention to that and be like, should we arrest somebody before they've actually committed a crime? It's, you know, it's a very slippery slope of like, what are we doing, you know, with this technology to, to help and better society? You know, is it a question of like, we're, we're acting proactively to save lives or is it like, no, we're really just like sending someone down like this prescriptive path now that you know, we've said this is what they're gonna do.
0: Yep.
4: It's. Uh, I think it's interesting. I mean, I obviously the data collection. I I'm more interested in the free will. Uh, oh sure. Um, yeah. Free will dynamic uh, of the show, but like, I think another interesting dynamic is, um, and and maybe this was intentional so that that so they don't feel like they're recreating some sort of uh, like political narrative, but like Insight and Delos are private companies, and they're mm-hmm. they're doing this without like any uh, oversight out oversight, uh, without any user agreement, without any, like well, I'm sure what, user what,
0: agreement. Is right. probably. But,
4: but at what point, at what point can, uh, does our society reach uh, a level where it doesn't matter what the, what the law says or doesn't say, or how much the government knows or doesn't know, like how much data collection can they just, just do just, just because they want to, and they can, and you don't have to be part of the system to, for them to collect it on you. Like it, it's interesting that way. Yeah. I mean, so
0: the the where do you come down on, on the free will aspect? Are we just a series of biological um you know uh versus digital connections and yeah. we're really no different? There they have a programming, we have a programming, you know.
4: Yeah, There's our ones different- and
0: zeros, ours are Y G Y G A T, whatever you know, like it's sure. uh it's a different, yeah.
4: I uh I, I don't have a good answer to your question, but I do like the metaphor that Westworld uses. Uh, uh essentially not the metaphor, but essentially the um the visual of Crock's watch. Like how far are people deviating yeah. from their from their lanes that they're supposed to be in? Like I think that um I think that we have a lot less free will than we think we do. <laughs> um I think there's lots of factors uh, that kind of dictate a lot of our outcomes. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't have a specific answer to the question, but I like that it's I would more likely uh subscribe to a some sort of idea of like how far are we deviating from our, our normal path based on our choices rather than um we have total free will in all situations.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I I like their treatment of the question, you know, of free mm-hmm. will. I think they do a really good job of like putting that in perspective and then of course juxtaposing like host versus human i think it's a really good way of like looking at the question and then the audience can kind of draw their own conclusions about like free will and what does free will actually mean
0: mm-hmm. what does free will actually mean tay
1: <laughs> i knew you were gonna do that <laughs>
0: how
3: much how much time do we have how much time do we have a little you know it's we can another two You realize he
4: studied philosophy at an Ivy League school. We don't really want to do this. We'll never get <laughs> out of here. I don't know. I wanna well I want to hear a little bit. I mean, to me, that's to me, there was a lot of issues with this season.
0: There was consistency issues with how the the hosts bodies react to things. There were inconsistencies with the f- firearms and the accuracy of guns and like just All over the place and it was not the same kind of as you said tay before elegant storytelling that was season one but what i enjoyed was the relevance of the thematic issues that we had here so yes the choice you you know freedom of will here freedom of choice um you know data and your privacy and the meaning of that those kinds of things um were the only reason I really enjoyed this season, you know is because it's it makes me think more about those and puts them in a new context
3: yeah i, I mean I think for me it, it kind of the the question becomes what what story do you tell about your own life, right and I think you know to some extent the when you you know you go back to your original question, what is free will? you know I would say. You know, it's it's the free will is the perception that you have choices with impact, right? That you mm-hmm. not only have choices, but that those choices matter, right? Yep. As long as you perceive that that's the case, then that's the case. You know, then then you have then you have free will, right? Sure. And so, you know, but that being said, I think you know why we're saying Westworld does a good job of treating that is you there are so many layers to how much you have freedom of choice and how much those choices really have the impact you think they do right Mm -hmm. and so there's the like you know notion of like free will within like your own individual choices there's the notion of free will within like i'm born in this time and like i can only you know be or do this much or i was born into poverty versus I was born into like a wealthy Mm -hmm. family and i have you know these opportunities to me there you know and i think that in, that is kind of like when the data is leaked right showing like you know how people are tracked right mm-hmm. you know you know i think that's just trying to like that's a way of commenting on how all of these factors impact you know who we are and how who we can be in life right and we don't necessarily think about them so yep that's a long and rambling way of saying like free will it's again, it's a, it's a treatment of perception. And I think that that's, that's the kind of like moral relativism that Westworld is trying to like hint at is that a lot of these, a lot of these questions are really a matter of perception.
4: Yep. And, and I would just, I would just add to what Taylor said, like if that's the filter we use, uh, then hosts in Westworld and humans are identical because uh, outside, outside of the fact that the hosts get to, reboot and start their narrative like they're allowed the latitude to make decisions and make some choices and do some things slightly differently but their story always starts over in the same place at the same time so like throughout season one and season two we got to see some of the hosts do things a little bit differently like follow a trail based on like where the real humans led them Mm. um, and do some slightly different activities and so if free will is defined only by having choices that make an impact on like your outcomes i think what we learned in season three is that according to the westworld folks in 2058 we don't really have all that much more free will than the hosts did in westworld mm-hmm.
3: well the host the host definitely passed like the most advanced version of the turing test right yeah right yeah. Know, not only right. not only can they respond but they can respond right. in like a believably human-like way mm-hmm. right? right In all in all facets so, yeah, I mean, you know, by that standard, they are human.
0: I mean, by the, um, well, see, yeah, I mean, it does, are they human or? Well, they're, they they're ethically,
3: so they're ethically human, sure, right? right? Like, and that's mm-hmm. what matters. So like, the moral that's what, of equivalence yeah, of the a human. Moral equivalence of right. a human, and really, at the end of the day, that's what should matter is like the moral equivalence. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Because it's not the question of life or not, alive or not. But the importance or not?
3: So well, you know, to, to,
0: biological
3: life or not? Right. So then, to like loop this all the way back, you know, they're they're really asking the question, like, so you know, the whole premise of Westworld is that you're going to the park, and these are not morally equivalent people, like in the sense <laughs> that they, that their death, their pain, their you know, pleasure, like their emotions, their experiences are like. You know objectifiable and like play things yeah yeah they're tradable right like in a way that humans are not right mm-hmm. and like <laughs> i think you know that's really kind of what season one is all about
2: mm-hmm.
0: right
3: you know it's like the, the like you're really delving into i mean that's why they're naked all the time yep because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter whether they're clothed they're naked doesn't I mean they're just like they're objects they're mm-hmm. machines right yep. Yep. and season three now you go the completely opposite way around You know, and they are they totally are, you know, I guess the question that's being pushed out is that. They're human in a name, morally distinct and relevant. Mm hmm.
0: You know, so if they're, you know, morally relevant, are they? Is something that is arguably not. um, Real. Uh, can it be morally relevant like that? Because I like the definition of real in the sense that something real is that that which is not replaceable. So something is irreplaceable, it's a real thing um, that's worthy of being valued. And if it's replaceable, what value does it really have? And if you can make a million copies of Dolores and they're all literally identical, is that a real thing that is worthy of value
4: well i uh, to, to to i think scene three puts its finger right on top of that like how often did or uh, for how long did uh these um dolores replacements of real humans operate as if nothing has changed in their lives like the uh i forgot his name but the bodyguard uh for the insight um mm. the insight Connelly. guy and yeah Connelly. connell Yep and uh and hail for a while and uh i mean they clearly proved that these humans were replaceable and i guess we'll see with we'll, we'll see with william too They're like it was very easy for them to just insert a host in their place and no one noticed Perceptually
0: replaceable yeah so <laughs> yeah. if we're going <laughs> yeah. again no, with perfect reality then yeah right
2: now yeah. we, we can make about we, like,
1: yeah. we haven't seen enough of like the Lawrence or mm. like satlorus to know like how they fit into everything or if mm-hmm. they deviated from Dolores's prescription for them from OG Dolores's personality, you know, are they their own people like Hale, sort of hail Loris has morphed into her own like unique combination of a person.
4: Yeah. Well, Perfect. I think that's, quote. I think that's the bigger theme that like Sirach is trying to use Rehoboam to prolong uh humanity and to kind of stem the tide of it's like inevitable collapse based on like what him and his brother kind of witnessed when they were kids and really i think oh my god <laughs> oh.
3: There, it is. there
1: it is right in the middle of like the interesting part
0: oh my goodness okay
1: um
2: well, so I mean... okay,
1: so Tay, Tay, I I sort of posed this question going off of Chris's, you know, bringing up the fact that like humanity is apparently supposed to collapse in on itself and be destroyed. Um, I kind of posed this question when John and I had just done our recap of Westworld. Do you think that's like really the the plausible truth that humanity only has? The option to destroy itself or some catastrophic event will happen that you know destroys humanity or is that because like that's the only future Sirach can see based on his past like based on the events he witnessed as a child is there something wrong perhaps with his programming of rehoboam that you know based on the inputs that he's getting from Sirach, are they flawed in some way that rehoboam can only predict like, uh, an end for
3: humanity? Uh, You know, again, I think you're touching on, you know, the major theme and kind of what, you know, I I think is being set up in season four, the kind of the struggle of good versus evil, like, can humanity Mm -hmm. triumph, you know, like, light over dark, right? Sure. Um, You know, and, and I think, you know, climate change is a good example of this. You know, this is... You know, something that in this time frame that that we're dealing with, right? You mm-hmm. know, the now to like the 2050s, 2060s, 2070s time frame, we're going to have to make some really serious choices
2: mm-hmm. about
3: energy and, and, you know, pollution and carbon and, and whatnot. Um, otherwise, you're going to see, um, you know, resource scarcity. You're going to see... Um, you know, as, as we have, right? You know, like this is all stuff that is just like happening, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to see more and more storms. You're going to see, um, you know, displacement of people, which, you know, creates, you know, more resource scarcity, which creates conflict, right? Um, which create which begets more displacement of people. And, and that's kind of, you can imagine that as you see more, um, more drought, more floods right Mm -hmm. more you know wildfires um like you see you saw in the american west and australia um you know these are things that we're going to be dealing with and they're going to i mean those environmental impacts are going to have socio-political economic geopolitical impact right Mm -hmm. that we're going to have to deal with over the next 20 30 40 years right Mm -hmm. and so sorry go ahead john
0: I, I definitely won't uh, delve into the subject too much because I don't want to do like I I certainly understand the point you're making and stuff, but I um I it's a theme of many a sci-fi movie and it's definitely been a pervasive element to to science fiction and fantasy for many many years that we have these issues to deal with and, and tackle and stuff. Um, I guess I'll I'll just. Just so there's the evenness on the panel, I'll push back and say I don't necessarily agree with the premise, but you know well, I, I but, certainly but again, understand the idea that this show would be whatever the catastrophe or issue or human humanity will have to deal with, with right. threats and I, problems. Think, and so
1: you think you think a problem, no matter what the cause, is inevitable.
0: Well, I, I don't. I think that you know humanity, if it's to survive will have to adapt and will have struggles i don't know that i agree with i mean that's the test the the ai predicts the the situation is always a dire one but you won't know until the time you know and humans are programming the ai it's the same thing with the the algorithm that just came out now that's 80 percent accurate you're going to predict whether you're going to commit a crime or not they say it's not biased but humans still program these things right it's it's you can't prove it until it exists you know
3: yeah and i think that that's exactly what the question you know the question that the series is getting at and is setting up is can in the face of that humans you know look for the beauty in things and look for the good as opposed to you know be individualistic i mean they they kind of spell out all the different ways that we can destroy ourselves mm-hmm. right you know and there are a lot of them and we make these choices every day And i think that that's you know a lot of what the what is being set up is that dichotomy of like again what story are you telling about yourself
2: mm-hmm. you
3: know who are you and that mm-hmm. that is the choice that ultimately the you know season three kind of centers around you know choosing the type of person that you are
0: Well, and I don't know that this gets into it, but I can see them getting into it later. And now I just like the question of, so say we are going to destroy ourselves in one fashion or another. Um, Do we have an innate, um, like, do we need to exist? Like, you Mm -hmm. know, does that matter? I mean, it matters, of course, to the to the individual or whatever. But ultimately, like, of our faith is doom, mm-hmm. you know, is that right? M- does that matter? Like, are humans? Uh, I guess it's kind of a, I don't know, yeah. nihilistic kind of view or something. But
1: well, no, it's a very Machiavellian question that you know is sort of being presented through the example of Serac. Like, does his end saving humanity justify the means of him taking out these outliers who? even if they represent a small percentage of society are still millions of people um, based on like the West world producers math that they were talking about in the kind of after episode. It's like, even if this was just like a small, a fraction of a fraction of a percentage of people, mm-hmm. it still represents millions of people. And mm-hmm. does the end goal of saving humanity, which Serac believes that he's doing, whether that's actually the case or not. Right. Um, yeah. Whether Rehoboam is, is, you know, programmed correctly or not, is that justified in, in him, like proactively taking out these people?
0: Yep. You know, is the end goal saving humanity regardless of the cost?
1: Right. Or saving it for what?
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just,
1: just the, you know, the, you know, continuation of the species. Mm -hmm. Is that enough justification?
4: Well, and that's, can you guys hear me okay again? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we're getting too close to the answers, so they're cutting our video my video feed. <laughs> but uh yeah, what I was gonna say right before I dropped out is is basically what Andrea is 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 saying that um like the whole point of RoboM is to kind of stall the inevitable destruction of humanity and and uh Sirach replaced uh Solomon because Solomon was like suggesting a plan where humans and and uh, uh humans can kind of coexist even if like even if the cost was was uh was greater and um and so real bohem's like whole plan is to uh it's kind of string this out and preserve humanity and I guess the question that I have is if humans don't really have a tremendous amount of free will and if their outcomes are are dictated for them, like what is it that they're saving like yep there's not a lot of happy people in this season three real world like everyone has ulterior motives and there's a lot of suffering. And uh, getting a notification on your phone can destroy your life uh, in minutes. And so, really, what is being preserved if this is the cost?
3: Marshawn Lynch is being preserved, and that's what matters. Skittles.
4: <laughs> we'll yeah. see. Did he survive that gunshot? I don't know.
3: Absolutely. There's no way yeah. Beast Mode didn't survive that.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. I I like the question, and I, I mean, it, it comes a lot down to, you know, where you derive your sense of sense of uh, purpose or meaning, you know, uh, in, in existing, you know, so for me, it's always been, you know, as an atheist on those things like, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Your, your, your life, what you experience, your joy. That matters to you and those that you care about, Mm -hmm. but not on a larger scale but then someone that maybe has a more, um, faith-based understanding of, of morality would understand a larger element of importance to humanity. And it would be more mm-hmm. apt, I would think to deem other intelligences some sort of, of threats to threat to that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I felt like, um, to kind of maybe maybe wrap some things up here um I thought that there were a lot of like surprise reveals in this season they did a lot of like big things where they were like oh my gosh this huge moment um like you know all the the pearls that Dolores snuck out of Westworld being copies of herself um or Bernard had the key to the forge all along did you guys feel like there was a particular moment like a shocking moment this season that you were just like Did not see this coming.
3: Oh, Dolores making copies of herself did not see that coming, did not see that. I just,
0: Mr. Smith back to the matrix, Mm -hmm. you know, is she just a virus come to take over the system? Yeah. Or is she the antivirus come to wipe the planet of the virus?
1: Yeah, I thought I thought my—I mean, I thought that my biggest surprise was you know Dolores making copies of herself, and then at the end when her plan wasn't to destroy humanity exactly, but to like set it free, and she was like, "I see the beauty," and I was just like, "That yeah. is not where it I was, saw that going at I all." I agree. I think <laughs> that might be
0: my one too. You know, it's like I—I like, feel like we could have been clued in on this. Like we yeah. didn't. This didn't need to be a mystery.
3: See, I guess I always kind of saw Dolores's plan as a little ambiguous
2: mm-hmm. and yeah. so
3: you know yeah. i i know that it wasn't a surprise to me you know or it wasn't okay. as surprising again it was just the the piece that you know just the multiple copies was just did not see that coming
2: yeah
0: i was surprised that that only um dolores and mave downloaded the kung fu uh,
1: <laughs> program, uh,
0: yeah. And all the other hosts, the didn't. they just like, oh man, I, I should have jacked in and downloaded that, um, uh, programming <laughs> because that would have been handy right now. That would have yeah. been super handy. So would building jumping,
4: but we'll, we've yet to see it. <laughs> I know I just, uh, yeah. And the military helicopter.
3: They also got the kill always everyone with one bullet automatic aim.
0: Yeah. App. Yeah. When they yeah. want. Yes.
4: Yes. Yeah, or really that one, that, w- that one gun does all the aiming for him. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> though
1: though there are flaws in tr- and bringing it back to altered carbon and uh some of Kelchrist Falconer's teachings, there are flaws in trusting your weapons. Exactly. As the yakuza found out when Maeve was just mm-hmm. like, "Oh, you want to, you know, use a machine to aim at me?" Yep. I'll teach you.
3: I can use the yeah. machine.
4: Yeah. (laughs) I don't, um, uh, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know how anyone else feels about this, but ever since the end of season two, I've been annoyed by not knowing anything about what the forge is Uh, like, what the, what the, what the Valley beyond is.
0: I mean, it's Tron. It's, it's just, it's a digital paradise, a digital world, create, you know, a a construct to bring it back to alter carbon created for,
1: or, or it's the matrix. For, right. It's like an after, mm-hmm. it's like an
4: afterlife essentially. Like that's, it's, that's the function it serves in the storyline. Like, but, but I don't know what it means for, uh, speaking about things that surprised us. Like I know a lot of people were mm-hmm. surprised by, um, uh, by Bernard being revealed as the, uh, as the key to the, uh, as a key to the Valley beyond. But I don't even know what that, I don't, I don't know what that means for the storyline. So I guess we have to wait on that one. But, yeah. um, I, I, the, the moment that stuck in my mind um from this season is not just that like these outliers were the um the target of this Rico app uh to like like force certain outcomes. Like that was pretty <laughs> that was that was compelling to me. But like I the one that. visual yeah the that one wasn't, visual like the most surprising mind.
1: but that was like the most satisfying to me to like tie that yeah. into something bigger. Yeah
4: the The data dump of people's personal profiles oh, yeah. that, that, that blew my mind. That was the moment where I'm like, Oh wow. Like this is, this is a society ender like that, that shook that, that episode shook me.
0: Okay. Sure. Good. I, uh, I, I didn't know if that I felt like that landed well enough or not, you know, mm-hmm. but, um,
1: yeah, it was, uh, it was briefer than I think, you know, maybe that, had a right to be i mean that Mm -hmm. is like chris said like that's super impactful that could be a society ender if you knew all these things about people that you previously didn't know and things that they were going to do things that they had done against you against people you know i mean you know yep i i I feel like it got a little bit of brief treatment in the season but yeah it's it's a pretty large thing to do. download
0: everything facebook knows about you and then you just (laughs) tacked on to that yeah like the actionables taken based upon right. the
3: information input. Mm-hmm. To, right. to your point, though, John, I did feel like the—I mean, really—I I think we were supposed to take the journey, kind of at least in part, through the the mini character of the the counselor, or the psychologist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was mm-hmm. almost unintentionally funny. Like, yeah. Right. I don't know. No, I don't like anybody else felt that way, but like, I mean, part of it is I it's think a passing it's like, moment. Yeah, just, like, the whole thing was so weird and surreal that it was yeah. almost kind of, like, gallows, humor, grim, yeah. And funny. Yeah.
4: Like, that, was on no- that was on the nose.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Pun not intended, but yeah. <laughs> anyway.
0: Well, does anyone have anything else they feel like they have not spoken their piece, about, piece on with Westworld in general? or Westworld season three and its themes and characters. I, or any, I am
1: for anything you want to throw in about where you think season four is going.
4: Yeah. I'm, I'm really, uh, um, I'm interested to see uh, like, I read an article uh, in the past couple of days about the, the meaning behind um, uh, Solomon and Ray Boom and like why one replaced the other. Um, and it was, uh, when Andrew and I watched the finale live uh, that stuck in my head when we learned that the previous system's name was, was Solomon. And then obviously the biblical reference is, is pretty stark for a lot of people. And like Rehoboam was the Israelite king that uh, like made his legacy by ruling a split kingdom. And, uh, and um, Solomon was the one that like, because of his personal vices saw his kingdom, like set up for collapse. And I'm, I'm curious to learn more about, like, I don't feel like we've seen the end of, uh, of Solomon yet. Like, Raiboham is erased, but is Solomon gone? I'm curious about like what Sirach's brother, if there's anything to be had, mm. uh, um, in that storyline, if there is more another role for this larger AI system, that that interests me, and I don't want to jump right into another big storyline, but like the biblical connection there, uh, that was designed for people like me. <laughs> sure yeah
3: yeah i think you know again i think it's set up to really make a make the ultimate commentary on good versus evil
2: That
3: seems seems to be where they're heading towards and they've got you know some compelling characters that they've really slotted into two clear camps um Mm -hmm. as well as some some wild cards in there that are going to make this the story pretty interesting
0: are we going to see is this all out war I mean, are, is, I think are they so. gonna keep bringing it to that scale. They're gonna oh yeah,
3: I think this is all at war. I mean, that's okay. where we're headed. I think this is, you know, depends on how many seasons HBO is gonna stretch this whole thing out. But this yep. is very well if 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 season it wouldn't surprise me if season four was the last season and that the, that this is kind of all out war, you know, mm, well,
0: has and anyone heard about how season three has done? Uh, viewer wise
4: and v- stuff. So? View- viewership for the finale was down, I read. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. See that's been my cons- one of my
0: concerns is that um it sounded like they had not gotten the viewership they had anticipated. Yeah. For particularly season two. Mm-hmm. And then um so we had this break um not knowing if we're gonna get season three and then they renewed it. And I wonder if there was stipulation like, all right, you can't jump around timeline so much has mm-hmm. to be a little more, you know, so has to be a little more linear and we need to up the action. We need to have cool, this yeah. is the real things we can do here.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: I, I, I worry that that's pushing this, this forward, uh, potentially making it less cerebral, less personal mm-hmm. and more actiony. And if they're being driven into the, again, all out war on a large scale, um, I don't know, it concerns me especially if viewership is down again you know yeah maybe they're gonna try to wrap it up in one more season
4: mm-hmm. well and i think the, the the question that i have is um it's obvious who the antagonists are going to be like heloris is the darkest version of uh dolores that we have and uh the new newly minted uh man in black is the darkest version of william that we have and they have a host army but we yeah. don't know who's planning on joining caleb like right. he's out of he's out of allies. Like so, who is, who 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 steps into that role into that role? Does he have to bring people in from Westworld? Is it Bernard? Is he going to bring something back?
1: Well, is he going to
4: recruit recruit human recruit humans? So is yeah.
1: Caleb out of allies though? Because Maeve seemed pretty willing to yeah. step up to the plate for him.
4: That's true. Maeve Maeve is a key player, but like Caleb can die. So yeah. <laughs>
0: So but then uh, Mabel realized that Caleb's incompetent and not want to follow him anymore because he can't maybe, tie yeah. his own shoelaces, apparently. I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. that was my impression of Caleb. I enjoyed his backstory, but um he just his best moment of leadership was when he told his fellow soldiers to not yep, rape right. these people. Yep. Right. That's it. He didn't grow that, from there.
4: Right. Um, and that was before he that was before he was broken as a human. Yeah.
0: And so he's supposed to be the John Connor or the John Connor of this story leading a revolution or whatever. And I don't see it. So he doesn't inspire leadership to me. Um, but maybe that's, yeah, maybe that's next season. Right. So yeah, you're right. The finale, um, Alan shared the viewers here
1: from two. Yeah. Down
0: huh. by half, so not a good two. sign.
1: No, no, it's not. Unfortunately.
0: So adding action sequences and trying to be John Wick <laughs> didn't make a difference. HBO.
1: <laughs> so you
0: so you're aware. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Go go back to season one and see what worked. I guess. Yeah.
4: I think I think we have to consider context too. The uh, um, the, the the finale re- released during a, a moment in which. Uh, four out of five people in the world were trapped inside their homes and they have uh, either they're over uh, overstimulated by TV time, or they've got plenty of other things to, to watch also. And so I, I feel like it's hard to compare data. So who knows really how much people are well, interested streaming in stuff.
0: A lot of streaming stuff is up though. You know, yeah. that's the yeah. trend and HBO garners some respect in in the matter here, you know, and um, I don't know. I, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, there's a lot to watch, and people are
4: maybe watched out. Um, mm. But is the data that Alan shared is that overall views, or is that like when it when it was dropped?
0: Yeah, that's a good question because mm. they count initial airing. I think if you watch stuff on your DVR mm-hmm. uh, yep. within a week, um, yeah, then, then yeah, that sort of thing varies. All right. Well, um, thank you guys for breaking our time record uh for a <laughs> podcast. I'm sure we've done it. Um normally I think our best has been two hours and five minutes about, and this has gotta be two fifteen or something. So yeah,
1: two fifteen, two twenty.
0: You know, kept um, it going. Yeah, I mean it's uh Andrew and I always we take plenty of time in the news. It just mm-hmm. but you can't you can't rush some of it. So um thank you for coming on thank you for dealing yeah. with the tech issues thank you yeah. for you know starting to get a little philosophical it's my favorite thing here and um yeah i uh i appreciate yeah. it maybe we can have you have you or one of you or whatever in combination back for uh we talked to future tarantino episodes so we'll yeah. we'll get that stuff going in in the works sounds great so. guys this is fun hey, thanks for having yeah. us Nice.
1: Thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah. Well, everyone, make sure you like and share and follow. This is on Twitch. You know that now if you're watching it. Thanks mm-hmm. for anyone that joined us. This will be on YouTube. Go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. Um, that mm-hmm. helps other people discover us. Um, that's follow us all I on have. social media. Yeah. If you like Housewives, guess what? We've cut the mm-hmm. Housewives segment, Real Housewives, out of the regular show. And mm-hmm. it's its own thing now. So you go to that if you're into it and you leave it if you don't. Um, And being gaming is a big thing right now with the transition of generations. We're going to be doing our midweek episode focusing on gaming. So tune in for that. And um, that's all I got.
1: Thanks, everybody.
2: Yeah. Cheers. Have a good night. All right.